0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What?, a comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress. That is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I are back with a -a two-and-a-half-hour super punch kick of content as we dig deep into the enigma that is Starbrand, the new universe comic created by Jim Shooter and then destroyed by John Byrne in one of the strangest, pettiest, most ambitious and yet deranged comic books in existence. But first, before we get to that, we discuss the recent Defenders miniseries on Netflix and the even more recent Adam Wingard U.S. film adaptation of manga classic Death Note. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Leave us comments and questions at, waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening.
1: Jeff Lannister.
0: Graham McMillan, hello.
1: Do you have a new microphone?
0: I have a new headset. How does it sound? Okay. It sounds
1: wonderful. Oh, good. Great. Much better than last week. <laughs> we'll see if 20 minutes
0: in something terrible happens. Exactly. Exactly. So, but hopefully it'll all be groovy. So, um, yes. Well, excellent. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being on it. Thanks. Thanks for
1: inviting me on. I I think it's really impressive that you've done the show for for years now. Yeah. And
0: you've had an incredible array of guests. It's it's true. It's true. I have to say, there's been uh you and that's it. Oh no wait, Brian no, no, I no, was gonna say there's a hip episode. <laughs> I know, poor Brian. I was like ah oh, my gonna, gonna get this in. So Graham McMillan, we have so much to talk about. It is so Stunning! It is stunning how much uh, comic book shit-talking we are going to be doing for the next two hours. Just, Just remarkable. Are you saying
1: this because of Starbrand, or
0: are you saying this in addition to Starbrand? In addition to Starbrand. this terrifying what? thing is is we're going to be talking about Starbrand for hours, but oh yes, I absolutely... What? What?
1: what is the other shit? Oh
0: man, what isn't the other shit, Graham?
1: No, light it up, Jeff. Light <laughs> it up right now.
0: I want to talk to you about a little waste of time... An amazing waste of resources, humanity, and human effort called The Defenders. An-
1: oh, I I have to be honest, Jeff. I made it through two episodes. Oh, shit. Uh, and I'm when I say I made it through two episodes, what happened is someone was like, I was like, I think I'm going to watch The Defenders. And someone was like, just go straight to episode three. Right. Skip yeah. episode one and two altogether. Right. Just go straight to episode three. And I did, and then I fast-forward through most of episode three, yeah. and then I was like, I, sh- sure, like, they've all finally fucking met now. I'll watch episode four, and then I fast-forward through a lot of episode four, and then I thought, this show is not
0: for me. You know, But knowing you, you probably watched the whole fucking thing. Oh, you? yeah, I did, I did. And the first two episodes, uh, I was like, oh, okay, like, eh, it's, ki- it's kind of sluggishly paced, but it'll pick up, and you and I talked, and you're like, yeah, try episode three. And uh, you know, so then we watch episode three, I'm like, okay, so they're all meeting and they do that little thing with the color combination. So But but
1: let's just let's just talk about this. Episode three, where I I've been told by actually many people, oh, it's the one where they all meet and it gets good. Mm -hmm. So many people were lying to me. (laughs) Not (laughs) only because it gets good is clearly untrue. Right. But also the, it's the one where they meet. Sure, but no one said you're going to have to sit through like forty minutes of fucking electro backstory. Well, the thing Th- that is like yeah. astoundingly dull and slow that even when you're watching it, you're like. It's it's kind of like like have I been drugged and I'm watching it previously on, but my sense of time has been completely fucked with, Yeah. yeah. and it's just taking a really long time because that's what the show felt like.
0: Yes, no, and that that is precisely what was amazing to me about it was the, def- I, and this is stunning to me is is that. Marvel started off with this plan, you know, we're going to create the four TV shows and then we're going to bring them into the four and then we're going to bring them into the Defenders miniseries. And what I think is fascinating is, is that when they put that idea together, they they kind of were like, okay, so we kind of got this. We have a little bit of that. They had one idea that they jotted down for the Defenders I think, which was kind of like, yeah, they come together and they have to fight Elektra in the hand, right? And and you sort of figured as they got closer to the show, they would have more time to flesh out that idea. And what is stunning to me is The Defenders is literally eight episodes that could have been a two-hour movie because... They brought nothing else. They literally developed not a single thing. Like, you know where you're watching like, um, and, and this is perhaps unsurprising considering, uh, one of the showrunners worked on, on Buffy, but like, remember that feeling in like a Buffy season where they've got the big bad established, but it's still like, 6 it's episodes like epi- to the finale. Yeah, I
1: was going to say it's episode 16. Yeah, exactly. And they all start doing filler.
0: Yeah, so it it is a it is entirely like those six issues for the in, uh, episodes for the entire run of the Defenders. They are killing time until the last episode. People speak Slowly, there's episodes that start off, I swear to God, I don't remember if it's episode three or if it's episode four, but there's that episode that starts off with the gorgeous music playing and you see the bad guy sort of assemble and they're walking through all the places just to show up. I think they just, it's, I think it's the beginning of episode four, right? I was gonna say that's
1: neither episode three or four because I didn't see that scene. Oh,
0: okay. It's, it's, it's a gorgeous piece of music, but it's literally There is so much stalling. Like Sigourney Weaver just gets out and says the same dull shit. Everyone, everyone throughout the entire thing says the same dull shit over and over and over and over again. Can we talk about how bad the dialogue is in this show? I mean, don't get me
1: wrong. Not one Marvel TV show has had good dialogue. Not I, one of them.
0: I, I disagree.
2: Really? Yeah. Which yeah. Which one? I which
1: think, one
0: is good dialogue? I, I, well, I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's good. Yeah, I would, I would say that the first season of Daredevil hits a sweet spot between dialogue that is witty, a little stylized, and again in a very Whedon-y kind of way, which is not surprising because at that point it was Drew Goddard who had also done uh, a bunch of verse stuff. Um, but
1: he left after the first
0: episode. He, 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 he was... Whoever
1: took over was another Weeden guy, though, wasn't he?
0: Uh, I don't think so. It was the Spartacus guy. Like, um, they brought in Petrie and Ramirez for the second season of Daredevil. They've got what's-his-name, who was like the blood of Spartacus guy, whose name I'm, I forget. I'm looking, I'm
1: looking him up right now. Yeah. Uh, it was...
0: And I don't give that guy uh, enough credit,
1: probably. Charlie... Stephen
0: tonight, right? Stephen tonight. I don't give who
1: Stephen tonight enough did, stuff. Yeah, he did. He did Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So he did Angel.
0: Oh, did he? Okay. Uh, yeah, he did all didn't, did didn't he? Mm-hmm. Prop, oh, who knows? Yeah, I did yeah, not. Did. it at Yeah, Dollhouse.
1: he's done a bunch of Weeden stuff. Yeah.
0: So, so anyway, so these are Weedy guys, right? So, and but I thought this stuff in Daredevil there was stuff that was actually truly witty, and the performances by by people were actually really good i know it was not your thing but well, one but of the you things you may or may that...
1: not remember yeah. i thought the daredevil season one was not my thing but was very well done for what it was
0: oh okay that's good because i remember you saying things like i think i preferred season two which is like i i then i stabbed myself in the eardrums to from talking. So. <laughs>
1: oh that's okay because that was when i'd only seen like two episodes of season two and then i saw more and i was like nope Okay. (laughs) I I have to this day still not finished an entire season of any of the Netflix Marvel shows.
0: It's interesting. I don't think... Well, like you said, on the one hand, they're sort of kind of not your thing. But at least I think for myself, I think season one of Daredevil, one of the big problems with it is it really tricked people into thinking that it could be done. Like Daredevil, that first season of Daredevil, you're like... Oh, like the ch- a lot of the choices that were made were choices that were made with the idea that you were going to have a TV show. Uh, and that it was like a, a TV series. You know what I mean? And it had larger kind of story points that it was going to go to clearly with the stuff with Elektra and what have you. But the second season of Daredevil is kind of where the blight really kicks in. And I mean, I don't know. I'm not the best person to talk because I liked... Seventy five percent of Jessica Jones, which everyone seemed to love, and about thirty percent of You uh, were su- Luke no, Cage. but you
1: were super into Luke Cage's first few episodes. I was. I was I like, yeah. I talked to you after you would seen like maybe three or four of those episodes and you were really? like, Oh, oh my yeah, and you were really into it. Uh, interesting you were you were like you've got to watch this you know i think they've really i think they've hit on something i think they're really doing it right and then i remember talking to you the next week and you're like oh that was shit yeah that and it was true. funny yeah. because it completely retroactively changed your opinion of the first few episodes that totally. But you were super sense. into it for the first few episodes i,
0: could, I believe it i do believe it because there was some stuff if nothing else just some of the color the fact that they were working in ongoing musical performances just a lot of stuff that was kind of like wow you're doing some weird shit with this show and of course, they had the performance by, uh, by what's his name, who went on to Frank be Walter. amazing in, in, uh, um, uh, is that, is that the lead? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's not who I'm talking about. Although he's quite good. The guy who plays, there's, the thing that I thought was, in retrospect, kind of smart about Luke Cage that I don't think that they, they didn't handle it well, but it was such a good idea was, that they stacked their super villains on top of each other. So there were three of them in yeah. the series and each one built on top of them, uh, on top of it. But it was, um, Oh God. The guy
1: who's since gone on to start Moonlight. Yeah,
0: uh, exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And then he was in shit. Why did he, he was just announced for something. I can't he, remember what it was.
0: And he is fucking terrific. And of yes. course, why do they, uh, is it Marashala? Ali, Ali? Ali, yeah, Ali, yeah. Ali, yeah, who played Cottonmouth. He was great. And that's part of why the first couple of episodes are, you're like, holy shit, this is going to be amazing. And then, and then the writers are like, nah, just kidding. We don't know what we're doing. And,
1: uh. And then you had Iron Fist, which was clear for, from episode one that oh, so they had no idea what they were doing. Oh, no, no.
0: I mean, not, the, the, actually, my personal thing. Well, yes, the, the don't know what they're doing, like, I guess is. Oh, no, Iron, Iron Fist is, Iron Fist is.
1: Terrible! Oh, show. Oh, it's
0: so bad. I, I it's I, so, it's so
1: bad that I know people who like the rest of Marvel shows who couldn't make it any further than like two episodes of Iron Fist.
0: That was, that was me. I can't, I couldn't make it. I made it. I took it as personal triumph that I made it to episode two. Unless I made it to episode three. No, I think it was only episode two. That was god awful. I mean, and, and what's fascinating to me is a how much of Defenders. <laughs> Builds it's Iron Fist, yeah, is really tied to the Iron Fist stuff. So part of it is kind of this enormous mistake that's made in terms of of tying everything onto, you know, the extremely uncharismatic, barely um, uh, functional Finn Jones having to carry sort of. The, be, be sort of the heart of the show, really, and, yeah. and give him too much to do, where, it, and everyone else is kind of just, kind of just hanging out. But the well, fact well, of the matter is, is that the show is just, it's, it's, it's literally killing time. From the first episode, it's killing time to get to the last episode. I mean, st- the, stunning. Stunning. To, to
1: Jump back for a second. Mm-hmm. One of the things that fascinated me about making Iron Fist the center of the show mm-hmm. was that Iron Fist was also the only sincere character in the show mm-hmm. because every other fucking Marvel character is, you know, cynically cool and
0: detached and quippy. Uh, and, okay, all right. I don't, I well, don't I, agree, but I, 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 well, I, with I, this. I
1: thought that it was, uh, it was really interesting for me to have Iron Fist be the butt of the joke mm-hmm. in the two episodes I saw.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, repeatedly. Yeah. Because he was so sincere, and he was like, I am Iron Fist, the, I'm the immortal Iron Fist from Gun Lun. and everyone was like, ha ha, loser. Right. I, it was so weird. It yeah. was so amazingly self-conscious. Yeah. Uh, and it, Yeah, it just... I don't know. It's funny, it's... I didn't, like... I didn't really dislike Jessica Jones but I didn't like Jessica Jones either the Mm -hmm. series Mm -hmm. but episode 4 Defenders like actively turned me off watching any like giving any more chance to season 2 because I thought that she both in terms of character and performance came across as so amazingly unlikable interesting that, the end of episode four, where she comes back and she's like, "Did you miss me?" I was like, "I never want to see you on television." Yeah, like,
0: yeah, no, it's true. She is pretty. There's a couple of there's lines been that
1: far too hard on, like the oh, I know who this is. She's the damaged one, you know.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. That
1: I was just like, "Oh shit, no!" Like I, this is this is terrible. In the same way with Daredevil and the. I'm not going to get involved. I can't get involved. I'm not going to get involved. I can't get involved. I'm not going to... And I was just like, fucking fuck. Yeah. We know, like, literally, it's an eight-episode show and we know you're forming a fucking super team. Yeah. Do not drag this out. But of course, they dragged everything out.
0: Everything got dragged out. It's amazing how much shit. It was like, they made a list of stuff that, that they thought worked from previous parts of all the different shows and, and then kind of assembled them. But like without, like literally it was as if they watched the first season of Daredevil and all those shots of the kingpin, um, eating food while listening to music and. Uh, basically delivering speeches to other people about, you know, basically about how important he is and and how he's not a bad guy. They're like, oh, okay. We'll just we'll just copy that. We'll have Sigurney Weaver do the same thing, uh, and we're not. I mean, it, it literally it was. I don't know if they were basically told like they had eight hours of TV that they had to write in six hours or what they did, but I mean. That show, I, I was just stunned. I was like, this is, cause I mean, it was, I, there have been stuff that I watched that I liked about the Marvel shows. There have been things that I disagreed with or things that I thought were handled poorly. After the second season of Daredevil, knowing that it was the same showrunners, I was like, uh, dare, I was like, there's no way that the defenders can be good. But the thing that was really sad to me was, is that they, was there was, is, that there are people uh, on the show that are trying and some of those people are the actors some of those people are like the lighting guy spent way 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 too much time thinking about his uh, (laughs) the color palette choices Like the color palette choices are really you can see parts where people are doing what they're supposed to be doing which is working hard but it is it, it's it's literally just all a waste because it, at the end of it the the people who are running it are just like are literally running out the clock for 8 hours it was it was hor- and, I, I and it's I, very I hard to watch watching it. through the other 6 hours cannot
1: uh my my takeaway honestly mm-hmm. was i I feel bad for Sigourney Weaver and Scott Glenn, whose careers are apparently in such bad trouble that they agree to do this. Uh,
0: well, Scott Glenn, yeah, I mean, sure. But, I mean, Sigourney Weaver is really interesting, too, because they were like, oh, she's going to class up the joint. And, and I mean, you know, I'm sure she was kind of uh, – Sigourney Weaver's got some interesting stuff going on with her. You know what I mean? Like, we could probably I, I, return I'm to glad you think that. Well yeah, I mean, you know, but it was interesting watching her in this and be just like like I honestly, I had so many flashbacks to the Dungeons and Dragons movie, you know, cuz <laughs> I I don't know, I don't know if you saw that, but like I did not, I, to be honest. I never will. <laughs> well, I, I think I, I, my brother Tim talked me into renting it with him and it is, it is amazingly bad. But one of the things that's awesome about it is like the, um, the behind the scenes videos is they actually have a scene, uh, they're like while the directors and writers are talking about how awesome everything is, they're showing a scene where Jeremy Irons is acting against a green screen and they, there's a great, it's like him acting, and then they call cut, and you just see the life leave his body. Like, you see Jeremy Irons be like, like, his body just sags under the, under the, what terrible life choices have led me here. And yet, when the the camera's rolling, of course, he's, he, Jeremy he's, Irons. He's Jeremy is, Irons is acting, yeah. He's, he, oh, but kind of in an unhinged way. And so it's interesting watching Sigourney Weaver uh, like, admittedly, you're just so bored, you can project all sorts of stuff into these people, but there are points where I would just swear that Sigurney Weaver is... You can just see her in her mind saying, I'm a professional, I'm a professional, I'm a professional, I'm a professional.
1: Oh, I. You if, know? if so, then she's a professional. Like, her performance in this, or again... In the two episodes I saw, her performance is was stunningly fondant. But she has, she
0: she has nothing to work with. She has nobody has actually.
1: anything to work. Well, with. no,
0: of course not. And what's interesting is seeing but, the but people. But really, like she Ryan wasn't thinks.
1: even. Yeah, but she wasn't bringing. Like she wasn't even trying to bring anything to it. I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, like I I think that some of the main cast were, mm-hmm. you know, but Security Weaver I like just seemed like she was there to collect the check. That was it.
0: Well, in- I I feel that in that sense she accurately reflects the uh what was going on behind the the scenes for for the, for the showrunners because I mean it really is just I think she was being like oh yeah no this is going to pay off I'm sort of the woman of mystery for whom you find out who I really am and what I've really done and they're like no 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 I mean I don't want to get into spoilers too much but like
1: well I I, I know I know what happens to her character okay. because thanks internet yeah. the show's been out a week and of course someone's just going to put like. Yeah. what happens in a headline. Yeah. So. Cause great. Again, not going to watch the episodes. It's not like I'm like, Oh, you ruined it for me. But at the same time, it's been out like a week. Yeah. And I saw that headline and I was right. like, seriously, this is ridiculous.
0: You know what? Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if the Marvel people called them and begged them to get that out there. You know what I mean? Cause it's just such a, like, we've got to make it sound like there's something that happened in this show. Like there's been a whole sweep, of stories that are kind of like, so-and-so talks about the choices made in the Defenders. Spoilers, you know? And um I was like, which was interesting because watching the show, I was like, okay, so what are they, what would they be talking about? And finally, in the last two episodes, you're like, oh, there was that decision and that decision, or maybe three episodes. But <laughs> And it's,
1: it's going to be like, there was that decision. Actually. And one of them, Matt, decides to put on his Daredevil costume. Yeah. Right, we, you know, maybe, but you you can tell that the Defenders was not particularly embraced even by the core fan base
2: mm-hmm.
1: by the fact that really the weekend after it was released, it was dominated by the the Punisher trailer at the end.
0: Oh, where was that? I never even saw
1: that. It's the amazing. after it's the after credit sequence in the last in Oh, uh,
0: it was so funny because I was watching it, being like, oh, I guess they photoshopped in the Punisher. Like I must have gotten confused because. I'd heard that he appeared and I was like oh okay so we're gonna end it with that and then at a certain point I was literally like oh maybe it's an in the middle of the credit sequence but I'm like A I don't care and of course the great thing is is that I don't know how everyone else watches Netflix
1: but are you gonna say that Netflix like after halfway through the credits just skipped to something else yes I mean
0: that's yes. the thing we it's think the funniest they thing that. having a,
1: yeah. a post credit sequence when Netflix will not let you watch well, the credits basically, unless you yeah, actively choose to exactly. is the funniest
0: thing yeah yeah, unless you A, know that it's coming, or B, you're like, and I mean, who knows? Well, Maybe but they're I like... think
1: that is, I think that is something where Marvel did try and get that out because they realized that, like, yeah. you have to tell people, watch to the end of the fucking credits in the final episode. Right, right. Even then, like, uh, you and I have gone back and forth before about my distaste about The Punisher, mm-hmm. but watching that trailer, I was like, and there's another show I'm not even gonna watch an episode of. Oh yeah,
0: no, no, I mean, the whole thing is kind of, the thing that I think is interesting to me, Graham, is, is that, there's stuff with Luke Cage the way they try and handle Luke Cage and honestly if there had been a drop of talent involved in the Iron Fist show and honestly I should I should qualify that um drop of talent Behind the scenes at the showrunner level, I mean, you know, the first two episodes of Iron Fist are directed by John Dahl for fuck's sake. You know, that's the guy who did like the last seduction and has right? done uh, like done some amazing work. And, and the first two ep- episodes of Iron Fist are excruciating, are excruciating in how badly they're written and how badly they're performed. Like they, it used to be that, like, with the Marvel shows, it was kind of like, oh, we've got, like, a surprisingly deep bench. Like, people might totally disagree with me, I, and I would kind of get it, but, like, first again, first season of Daredevil, you've got some really good actors in some really sort of... You know, like you're kind of like Ah Foggy Nelson or uh ah, Karen Page, and the actors are are better than the material by far. By the time you get to Iron Fist, I was like, this show has to live and breathe, as every TV show does, kind of on your characters, and all your actors are shitty except maybe Colleen Wing. Or maybe she's shitty. I don't know. I mean, again, only made it through two episodes of that. Maybe three, and I blocked out the third from the psychic pain. But she pops up in the Defenders a lot. Rosario Dawson pops up in the Defenders a lot. People get together and say things that are literally someone wrote down on a whiteboard. Again, it's just to-do lists. Like, okay, what's calling Wings are going to be? How's that going to get resolved? Oh, we'll have Rosario <laughs> Dawson tell her stuff that will make I thought, her, I thought you, were you know, say.
1: So you are going to say the dialogue was what they wrote on the whiteboard, because it felt like that at times. Oh, it
0: kind of was, yeah. Like Rosario Dawson
1: shows up, and she's like, I think you two should meet. You're on the same side. I'm going to leave you alone to get to know each other, walks out.
0: Yeah, no, it really is. It is stuff. Like, it is the, no, you are the base, Colleen. You are the foundation. Double underline in blue highlighter. You know, it's just, ugh. I, I, now, you watched the entire Defenders, right? Yeah.
1: Miss Knight presumably shows up at some point, and does she meet Colleen?
0: She does. She does, and interestingly enough, they end up in a room together, and, uh, there's some spoilery type stuff that would not- So they say finished. something like, hmm,
1: you look like a daughter of the dragon. And <laughs> yeah. Misty's like, look at my new robot arm! You and I should form Nightwing investigations. I have a robot arm, you have some horribly generic racist backstory, <laughs> why don't we get together and fight crime in a show that will never be made, because ha ha, we're both women.
0: Yeah, uh well, it, you know, it's kind of interesting with Marvel, because of course, they're sowing their seed all over the place, but th- those pieces are in place. And honestly, if they were smart, they should just go ahead and do it because, uh, as far as I can tell, people like those actors were definitely cast with an idea of we're going to reuse them. And, and, and again, sort of it's TV, kind of like why not? If the fans are into it, we can, we can make this happen. What, whether or not they will or not. I mean, that's the thing. Marvel TV, clearly, the defenders is the biggest sign yet that they did not think things through when they pinned the deal and they they basically completely I thought I thought they completely failed, which was amazing because that again for me, walking first season to Devil, Devil, even the little bits and pieces of the other series. I liked I really liked two thirds, three quarters of Jessica Jones in a way that I don't know if they'll ever be able to replicate. But but the rest of it has just been like part it's It's kind of like everything else. You just, you got to get the right people. And when you do, you sort of have to try and keep the right people. And and they clearly were just kind of like, okay, uh, you know, who's Joss Whedon's next cast off that we can get? And I mean, that's incredibly super cynical because I know that thanks to the miracle of leaked Sony memos, um, there was a lot of coverage about how much work Drew Goddard tried to do to to exit Daredevil properly and make sure that it was set up with people and setting it up with Douglas Petrie was definitely something that he was like this is a good choice he's, he's the right person for the material and etc etc you know it's you don't know, unless he set him up with Stephen DeKnight, which again... He, no, he did. because yeah, it, yeah, so it was Goddard left exactly. after the first season, so it was Goddard the first season. Yeah. yeah. It was Goddard and DeKnight, and again, there was enough stuff in there that whenever anything good popped up, I'm like, oh, that's Goddard. Which is funny, because there's one episode of The Defenders that is co-written by Goddard, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it wasn't much better than anything else that it was. But again, it's that thing of like, you have eight hours of television and four you know, characters four main characters and a bunch of other fan service secondary characters and you can you you can do so much with this and oh my god it was bad the amount of time the amount of time spent on the bad guys where the bad guys did nothing but squabble and developed themselves in no way I was like this is sh- it is it is shitty. It was so there was that character that that was running around that they were calling White Hat. Between the fact that there was White Hat and Black Sky, like uh it just showed you like how like thin the gruel was. Like they just didn't have time to put anything in the stock. And
1: Yeah, it it's just it honestly, the part where I think like my spirit bailed <laughs> was uh stick spoilers everyone, chopping his hand off to escape. Yeah. And then like it's only ever commented afterwards by Matt's been like, Oh what happened to your hand? Or something like that. he's yeah. like, what what this is terrible? Yeah. yeah. Like th- this is this is the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Because you can tell someone, again, and the, the writer's room was like, he chops off his hands, and it's really fucking intense, and the shows is hardcore. Mm-hmm. And then when they get to make the show, they're like, yes, you can chop off your hands, but it's like a paper cut. Like,
0: if you just hold on to it, it's fine. Oh, completely, completely. I mean, that's always been a... I mean, there, there's a huge problem with the show that, that just keeps going on forever, is you've got two characters who are super strong and more or less uh, invulnerable, but against a bunch of martial artists, right? And you have this sequence again and again and again, these horribly excruciatingly boring fight scenes because you just don't know. You're kind of like, well, okay, so Luke Cage can't actually get cut by these swords, but on the other hand, he really can't lay a punch on half these guys. And it it just, it was, it was, it, and it's a shame because again, I feel like there was usually one sort of standout fight sequence, even the second season of Daredevil, which is pretty lame doubled down on the fight sequences in a way that was great. And here, there was literally a scene in the last episode where a sword fight starts between um, uh, Colleen Wing and her mentor, who really looks like a, a celebrity hairdresser. Um, you know, hairdresser to the stars, who's apparently a member Uh-oh. of the Hand. Was yeah. it
1: Andre, who is of course, uh, Janet Van Dyne's favorite hairdresser yes.
0: dresser from Burns. It was him. They refer to it. Yeah. She, he's like, I'm going to cut your hair now, Colleen. And, um, I'm going to give you the Van Dyne special. It means a lot to people who know what they're talking about. You know, it's a secret language crap. Uh, so they're fighting and Misty Knight gets a phone call. Oh no, sorry. Rosario Dawson, uh, gets a phone call and she answers the call. And it's literally her talking with Misty Knight and they're having this super dramatic conversation that like so much of the Defenders is them literally just repeating to each other what the audience members know, have known, and know because it's been mentioned four times previously with absolutely no new information involved at all. And the rest of the sword fight is not only happening in the background, but it's hidden behind some, like, pipes and ducks. So you just see a sword in the background and kind of a clang, 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 while they're talking, and I'm like... Oh man, and it's, and they, of course they build it up like this is this huge dramatic thing that is supposed to be super important and I guess if you watch the Iron Fist show and we're emotionally invested in Calling Wing's character, and part of me was like, hey, Calling Wing character can act enough, I'm kinda involved in what's happening, but they were clearly like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, no, too much work, have them fight behind a bunch of ducks, and then later we'll come back and, you know, I, it was, it was, oh that sh- the Defenders is really terrible i'm impressed at how again it it was one of those things where i just felt saddened by the waste you know what i mean like just just the waste of human effort involved in that because there were people at the top who either for whatever reason could not do their jobs either they really couldn't do their jobs or they just didn't have the time or Jeff Loeb came in and was like no just this point and all the stuff on the whiteboard i i I absolutely. We have to film now. Yeah, exactly. We
1: have to shoot right now. We have. We have to an shoot attempt right. to block out the sword fight. Have them fight behind pipes. I honestly would not be surprised if, it, if something like that happened.
0: There, there. The, some of the grand finale fight scenes that happen, the big finale fight scene in the Defenders happens in a half-darkened cave where you really can't even see much. Like it's yeah, and it's all, it, and you can just stay in the background. You're like, come on, people, come on, come on, come on. We have got to get to the Inhumans. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, and uh. The
1: humans made by the
0: man behind Iron Fist. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: That's in theaters on Friday, Jeff. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, right. So see, that was the thing. They switched it to that super high priority and Defenders kind of really was treated like they were just like, oh, it's fine or, you know what I mean? Like there was so much of that. Just like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And yeah. You say that,
1: but Marvel is, and this is not my story to tell, but I'll tell it anyway. Uh, Marvel is, is reportedly amazingly touchy
2: mm-hmm.
1: about uh, Defenders reviews. Of course they are. To the point where an outlet, which is not an outlet I work for, just to spread right. the blame around, uh, I know was blacklisted by Marvel Jeez. for daring to suggest right. that Defenders was not as good as the earlier series. Didn't mm-hmm. even say it was bad.
2: Mm-hmm. hmm
1: just oh, saying, yeah. it's not as good as their earlier series. They were actually blacklisted from all uh, from all
0: cast interviews. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's it, why. Right. Right. Because they said that. No, and it's true. I mean, that's the thing. Maybe they think so they that, thought that, it was really that's great. Not a, yeah.
1: Like like that's not a uh, company that is has just decided like fuck it, let's just get it out there. Like that. That's a company who actually genuinely thought this was a big deal.
2: Uh,
0: they needed to be a big deal. But I, I think it reminds me of a little bit of like what we talk about what's going in, on in Marvel Comics, is these are things that are mandated on the whiteboard, there's a bunch of people who work hard to do what they can with the resources available, which are less than anyone thinks, and then they are so stressed out and defensive. That they are just shits. Plus, additionally, there's Marvel's gotten a long, long way on bullying, you know? And so it's not surprising that Marvel TV is like, hey, you know what? We'll, we'll bully you. We've got, like, the biggest movie franchise after Pixar or maybe ahead of Pixar. I would say ahead of Pixar at this point. Probably, I'm, you know, but... So. I mean,
1: like, really behind Star Wars, I can't think of anything that's bigger than Marvel.
0: Right, right. So I,
1: I can't wait to see what the reaction is to Inhumans. Yeah. And by the reaction, I mean Marvel's reaction to the inevitable dropping that Inhumans is going to get.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, that's the thing that I think is really interesting to me, is is that Marvel TV really did, at the beginning of this whole thing, with with its arrangement with Netflix, I was like, oh, you know what? This is potentially viable. And now, of course, I'm like, it's not. And it could be that Marvel TV, sort of unlike what Fig had to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is more or less physically separate it from uh, Ike Perlmuter and be like, look, we're going to retain talent. You know, it's not just we're going to get talent while they're cheap and exploit them. We're going to take talent, find talented people, you know, and hopefully raise them up and then exploit them. I don't know, but in the t- traditional Hollywood way, and Marvel TV started out with like, yeah, we've got some we've got some good people and then they're just like, okay, who's you know, who's written for Buffy, who's written for Dexter? Oh, that guy did like 3 episodes. Like, sure. Let's let's give him a show. Let's give him any humans. You know, there's no there's no real belief in the idea, you know, that the talent is in any way unique that there is just going to be someone else that's there that's going to be able to that you're going to be able to exploit and crank something out. Um and and again, that idea that Marvel is like, but it's going to be great because it's Marvel. You know, just that idea that it's Marvel is the corporation and the characters and that's stronger. It's really interesting in a way when we do come back to talking about Star Brand. Because because if I was a really smart guy, I would figure out a way. But I know there's a linkage between what Shooter's thinking of in the new universe and what later happens to Starbrand afterward. Uh, and... Well, it, I, and the whole new universe. Yeah, I mean, the whole new universe, it, exactly. It, it's funny that you... Uh, and
1: we will pivot to, to new universe and starbrand in a second. But... You saying that, you know, we're Marvel, we've got the brand, we've got the characters. I don't think Marvel actually cares about the characters anymore. I think Marvel cares about the brand. I think Marvel thinks that the brand of Marvel yeah. is right. enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think as that's becoming more and more obvious on the TV side. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the TV side really is acting like the comic side in terms of publicity and in terms of, of debuting the projects mm-hmm. in a way that the movie side doesn't. The movie side still tries to promote things based on the things. Right. And I feel the TV uh, side is very much like, it's Marvel. Mm -hmm. Sure, it's humans, whatever. It's fucking Marvel. It's an IMAX and it's Marvel. Are you ready? It's the biggest thing ever in IMAX and Marvel. Right. Don't pay attention to the badly CGI'd here.
0: Well, it's fascinating because there is that little level of, it'll be interesting to see what they're Going to prove, but of course, the the whole nightmare would be if any humans ends up opening lo- huge, which let's face it, it will not. Um, and then Marvel, ha- Marvel TV is able to be like, see, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe people are just, it's just that they've got the Marvel license, like, you can do, like, like you said, it's Marvel. Like we're unstoppable. Anyone can do anyone can do this, basically, as long as it's us. And uh Define
1: opening huge though, Jeff. Well that's because that's a good question. like because then humans can't quote unquote open huge because it's a limited run. Right. Movie. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Like it's
1: showing in X number of theaters, all of Butcher IMAX. Sure. And it's only showing for I mean it's it is limited run, it's like two weeks at most, or maybe even less. Right. Yeah. So it's it's like it can't be huge, right? right it, and, it, and and that's very much on purpose, right? Because they know that the the audience appetite for this is limited. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, especially right. considering
1: like it's going to. What I am more curious about is what are the broadcast ratings going to be like for the first couple of episodes of Inhumans? Because the hardcore fans are going to go and see in the movies. Mm-hmm. Like, are they then going to tune into the show afterwards, like a month later, and say, "Well, I've heard there's a couple of extra scenes. That's worth it," or are they going to to not? And um, is humans going to like die as a result of this? I don't.
0: I don't. I I don't know. I really. I have to admit, the whole Inhumans thing is just this. Chri- is, yeah, it's. <laughs> It's a whole realm of crazy that I have not bothered to follow in any way. And therefore I can't even pretend to understand it. And I can't even really say if I did that I would be able to, but I'd certainly know. I don't know, Graham. I got to admit that does sound, that sounds crazy. I mean, traditionally you'd be like, Oh, here's somebody who is so confident that what they have is superior product that they do this sort of limited promo IMAX theater thingy and that's just going to drive up the ratings for the show because what they're going to have is the 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 faithful are going to go see it in IMAX and be like, "Oh my god, that's great," and convince all their, you know, all their friends to watch the show when it debuts. But that seems really unlikely to me. Again, you and I have talked about the miracle of the watching the Glenn Larson TV movies for the Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers and maybe we you know, if I was more on top of my game, uh, research that and see if that's something I mean, certainly from the Inhumans footage, you don't get the sense that it was done like the Battlestar Galactica where Glenn Larson's like I spent so much money on these fucking special effects, I've got to release it as a movie in the hopes of like recouping some of our money back You know?
1: Well, according to Marvel Mm -hmm. And again, of course they're going to say this. (laughs) Um, They have spent a significant amount of money on the first couple of episodes. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And, Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why is that they knew it was going to be released in IMAX, but also IMAX as a company has put money into the first couple of episodes.
0: Oh wow. All right. Well, there you go.
1: So it, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. It just, it strikes me as one of these things that someone thinks of the marketing plan. But the marketing plan is entirely contingent on people coming out of the theater and going, well, that was fucking great. Right. And the problem is, I have not seen one person legitimately look forward to the Inhuman show based on the trailers. hmm
2: uh-huh. hmm uh-huh.
1: Not even one. hmm uh-huh. uh-huh. You know? And you still have people on the internet are going, you know what's fucking great? Secret Empire. Secret Empire is a great comic. I can't believe they're still keeping it up nine issues in. You know? And even those people aren't saying Inhumans looks great from that footage.
2: Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Oof. Ugh. Well, anyway. So yeah, in humans, that looks terrible, but I, I, I'll be very curious. I guess I should go back and watch that Punisher thing. But like, uh, yeah, I, it's on YouTube. I, I, well, there we go. As soon as we get, as soon as we get off the air, I will will go check it out. But part of me is just like, I don't know. You know, I'm sure they can keep going. That's the thing that was kind of amazing with all, all the Netflix shows is they, they had figured out a way to, like, pop in one character and get it two possible franchise characters wedged in there at the same time Um and sort of maybe not make it that super intrusive, at least kind of sort of at first. And now, of course, it's just, you know, I, I, you get to the Defenders and it's just a horrible, horrible, the, horrible closed loop. The so one
1: I'm looking forward to at this point is Runaways. Mm. Uh, in large part because I've heard a couple of people who've seen it, seen the pilot. Right. And they, their response was kind of like, oh, it's actually good. hmm <laughs> You right. know, like, genuine surprise. Yeah. That, that it, it was not the disaster that they were expecting it to be. Okay. Uh, and somehow I buy that more than I buy people going, that was the, great, the greatest show ever. Right. You know, people who were like, oh, I kind of thought it was going to suck and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Is more interesting, and also the talent on Runaways, or at least at least in terms of showrunners,
0: mm-hmm. makes
1: me very curious.
0: Mm-hmm. Who's who you know, It shows you how little attention I've been.
1: It's playing. Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage who did The OC and
0: Gossip Girl. Ah, okay, right, yeah, and they—that's they,
1: they, like they could do something. A, with that's it, a good know? pedigree, like sure, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see what it's like. But that's also starting soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a a weird period for Marvel TV. But but the Defenders has done nothing to make me go, you know what, Marvel's really shown that it can vary the tone of its shows, and it really knows how to take the best advantage of its real estate. Because Defenders just didn't, on, on either level.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm not sure that... I'm not sure that Defenders really could have, in a way. Like... The thing that on either
1: because I think the defenders definitely could, could have done better than eight issues of filler. Oh, eight well, episodes. Absolutely. If you're telling me that episodes three and four are basically like as good as the show gets, then that's a series that someone should have come in and been like, "Why don't we just make it six episodes?"
0: Well, no, I mean, how do I how do I put this? I I guess what I'm just saying is is that that uh, there there was defenders was was shit miserable and and out of 8 hours there's maybe like i don't know 13 minutes that i would call good maybe 13
2: you know <laughs> oh, wow yeah
0: i mean it's not it's not high it's like three wise cracks and maybe half a fight scene um and one idea but but the but to me i guess what i'm saying is i just i i wasn't necessarily parsing like like each of the four shows leading up to Defenders, each sort of tried to do different things. And and honestly, I think did. Like, to lesser or greater degrees, one of the things that's pretty great about Luke Cage is it is very much not Jessica Jones. And Jessica Jones is very much not Daredevil. Part of the problem with Iron Fist and a big flag is kind of the idea that it is both a little bit too much like everything that's come before and, of course, like terrible in its own right. But, like, for me, I'm like, Defenders, the first two episodes, part of why I was like, eh, we'll see where it goes, is part of me is like, it's juggling a bunch of different shows, and I'm like, oh, and they were kind of paying attention to the idea of, like, these characters have character arcs and they're putting them in position to to basically... Carry out those arcs, and then then they're just like, uh, but it's just a little too hard to actually develop that stuff and then resolve it. So we're just going to have people talk and talk and talk and talk, and then they'll give each other the speeches that will resolve the their their character arcs, and then we're set, you know. And so it's just
1: whereas I uh, I imagine that when you say they give each other speeches to resolve the character arcs, the speeches are literally someone saying. What you need to resolve your character arc is X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm.
0: And them going, you're right. Mm -hmm. And then a ninja appears. Yeah. No, that that is pretty much eight out. That is most of the defenders, by all means. But I guess what I'm saying is is that by its nature, which is they're gathering up all this other stuff, it's not going to be... A, it would have been a hard chore and it wouldn't have moved the ball it would be it's almost impossible to imagine how it would have moved the ball forward i guess in a way that we can talk about like oh runaways or like oh maybe the punisher will be something different like i'm just saying that defenders what what's amazing to it is is that uh just like it failed even by the very lowest of low bars of like let's get all these characters together let's have them fight you know the stage at which they did that they by which no one was really into developing it was just the the absolute minimum was done on it but but again i just don't know like I can't guess behind the the cogs of the machine. Just the fact that you say that Runaways is doing something completely different, I think that that's... Um... Well, I, I,
1: I don't know if it is. Mm-hmm. That's just, like, all I know is that people have seen it, and are like, oh, it's actually good. And it's, sore, it's made by people who have done different types of shows.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and also the source material is so different. Mm-hmm. Like, if Runaways is totally the same as Defenders, something has gone hideously well, wrong. No, exactly. But <laughs> I'm
0: just saying, like, I I think that that's a sign that you know that that would be a sign that, that they've, uh, they've done something wrong. But that also sounds a little closer to what you were saying earlier. So I was a little. L- let me talk about as long as this. I, we should chain this back into Shooter in the New Universe and Starbrand But before we do, I want to talk about another Netflix thing. Um. Unless you don't want me to. Which I
1: don't know what you're gonna talk about, so I can't say one way or another. I
0: was getting to that, Graham. I was getting to the end of my sentence. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Where are you though? Where are you? Yeah, I, I, well, who knows? But I, I felt, I, I would have given it good odds. I would have given it good gambling odds that I actually, <laughs> the end of my sentence would have been the death, the death flicks, uh, uh, death flicks, the death note. Oh, adaptation. death note. Yeah, on Netflix. So, uh, is it, is it terrible? Well, see, this is it. I don't, I was like, I start, I, yesterday when I was watching it, I, I typed like, I, I'm doing everything that I can not, not to so I tweet I saw that. Oh, okay. And everyone was like, do it. And <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't. It's so unfair to people because it just came out and et cetera, et cetera. But I was like, oh, but I'll totally torture Graham with it. And then afterwards I realized, oh, Graham might actually want to watch this because he did actually enjoy Parts of Death Note, or the first half. I, of Death I
1: Note. enjoyed a lot of Death Note. Yeah, so. I, and I'm
0: definitely curious to watch it, or at least I was before
1: I saw the reviews. Yeah, so the thing, and again, is... it comes down to like, I think life is
0: too
2: short. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, you, th- you think life, did you say life is too short? Because it sounds like if you're saying like light is too short. I'm like, the actor no, life, has problems. Life, but...
1: life is too short to sit through the whatever, it's two hours of something that bio reports adds nothing to the experience of reading Death Note.
0: Well, you know, the thing that I think is really interesting to me is, is what. Well, first off, what's stunning to me is it's under two hours. It's like, it might be an hour and 40 minutes or just a little over that. I was shocked that somehow it managed to take me like three hours to watch the thing, which was a nightmare in and end but of it, itself. It's, but it's not the whole story, right? Because they're already talking about a sequel. Oh, yeah. No, one of the things that they did that was quote unquote clever was they set it up like you can like they they didn't want to tackle too much of the story so they figured out an uh what seems like a good juicy opening installment so the thing that i really want to talk about well there's a bunch of things i want to talk about one of the things that i thought was amazing and fascinating about it and i i don't know i i got the impression that people had mentioned this um uh but uh, but if not Lakeith Stanfield is going to be a huge, huge star. Um, Maybe some people who know him better and have been watching movies are like, you idiot, he is a huge star. But that guy is going to be huge. He plays L, and he does such a fabulous fucking job with it, I thought. Which is amazing the thing that so the thing that i think was interesting was that the people who did death note and what i wanted to talk about that i found fascinating is and um it's directed and co-written by adam wingard who uh did the guest and you're next and uh some some really very kind of decent intelligent horror films that that had a certain kind of retro je ne sais quoi and very smart and, um, uh, is that they made the really mystifying choice to, um, Americanize their, their choices for how to Americanize Death Note are completely confounding to me. Like, it's like okay we've got to have it's got it so it's set in America which means that Light can't he has to be a lovable loser you know what I mean like it's amazing how much they John Hughes up Death Note like it is it is it is almost like an unironic version of Heathers toward the end and that is wow a to me, so so it was very much like okay, we have to have light. Who's this guy who's driven to be driven for justice? You know why? Well, his you know his mother died unfairly in an accident. So it's that. But there's no. It's a it it it's a the first Death Note. One of the things, as you know, that I think really works well about it is is that light is. Is kind of a teenage elitist, you know? Like, he gets the power of the Death Note and one of the, he doesn't immediately turn around and kill the school bullies. He immediately begins like, how do I make the world a better place? Right? Cause I, because I know. Like, one of the things that I think is so smart about Death Note the manga is it takes the, the moral self-righteousness that teenagers have this idea, like, I, you know, that sort of outrage when you start finding out how the world really works, but you don't know why it works the way that it does. You just assume that it's because people are corrupt and terrible and the world is crappy and there's no real, you know, sense of gray. There's literally black and white. You're literally like, oh no, I'm, I understand, like that, that inherent Morality that teenagers have that lead them to you know that leads you into that weird world of say slasher films or whatever or easy comic stories where like horrors are visited upon the unjust you know that framework I think makes sense for almost all teenagers. Teenagers go through a period where they think they know what's best for everyone because. Because they they're finally seeing the world, they're kind of high on the the power of their own ability to kind of see past their own horizons as, as when they were children, um, and what's amazing is is that the people who put together the American version of Death Note are like absolutely not that will make no sense. So much of this is cast in this idea that light is going to be a lovable loser who is very upset because he lost his mother, and then when Ryuk comes and gives him the Death Note, he is going to be sort of tempted by the power of it, but then he's going to be trapped into more or less doing what he does because, of course, uh, he's in love with the hot cheerleader who, of course, craves, you know... She's the one who wants to, to, like, rewrite, you know, the world to make it behave and, and make sense. And so it's kind of like I
1: I am trying to work out if there's a good way of making an ugly noise right here. Because that's horrible. Oh yeah. It, it it I mean that's
0: horrible. Yeah. And and you know the thing that's interesting is is there are talented people involved. I mean there is the guy playing plain light is uh, Nat Wolf. I think is actually Correct for his character, like that. It's it's a million miles away from the light of Death Note, but for what he is, I mean, apart from some of the weird, some of the comic choices are kind of, but but again, when by the time you get to L, who's done, and the thing that I think is amazing is all this stuff with L that works really well. it helps that of course Lakeith Stanfield is great and committed to the part but he's also doing Death Note like there's the least amount of deviation with Elle from the rest of Death Note and I'm like it's kind of amazing I mean I guess they committed and made it and they were like oh I mean I kind of hope it's enough of his success that they do another film and are kind of like okay we shouldn't we got to get it closer to the source material and one of the things that is amazing, it's just, it's an amazing adaptation because of, you know, sometimes you see adaptations that fail because they don't, it doesn't have enough, um, uh, faith in the material. And I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by the extent to which the, the Netflix version of Death Note feels like it is, uh, does not have enough faith in, the American audience to actually step outside of Hollywood screenwriter product box. So they do all of the Hollywood screenwriter product box stuff to keep Light being as sympathetic as possible but but everything that it sacrifices for it just, end, just ends up changing the tenor so weird. And it's fascinating because at the end of it, as I think is weirdly the case, God, there was something else that I was watching. Oh, um Baby Driver. Like, I know that Baby Driver does is not intended to basically be a white supremacist movie, but it's amazing the extent by which you get to the end of Baby Driver and I'm like, that ending's a little too white supremacy for me, and sort of by the same token with death note you 've got oh yeah, light Turner's a good guy, but you know between the evil vagina and the relentless black person persecuting him, what 's he going to do? Am I right? you know, and that's also kind of a weird like it's this weird unintended um yeah, that's, that's very
2: comfortable.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think that I. I think the people, all the people involved, would be really horrified that that's. They're like, no, 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 no. That's that's not what we're trying to do at all. And um and just the same way that I think Edgar Wright, if I said what I had said about Baby Driver, I don't. I was going to say he'd punch me in the face, but really, what he would do was like. List his top ten favorite punching scenes in movies and explain why they're his favorite and- Wow.
2: I know, that's
0: such a dick.
2: You are such a dick. Jeff Lester,
0: (laughs) abhorrent human being. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, that was, that was really unfair. But, on the other hand, Baby Driver, the- You're like, but! There you
1: go. uh, mm, Do I stand by it?
0: Anyway, so Death Note is fascinating. It's it's free to watch, Graham. It's less than two hours. Uh It will probably appall you 90, 80, eh, 75% of the way through. But, well, appall is overstating it. But, A, it's better than The Defenders. Uh, and, B, it's very interesting to watch if you just have any sort of casual interest in like the choices that are made you can really see why people are making them and it's not like they're making them in the uh we don't have time let's just get to the whiteboard there was like a lot of thought put into it but yeah, what exactly. that thought they're says they're very
1: intentionally making them but it's that yeah. doesn't
0: that make them good decisions exactly exactly so so you know kind of worth watching and again you can watch it and be like holy shit Lakeith Sanfield you know, I when that guy gets his Oscar, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, he- I- I knew that was coming. So, um but yeah.
1: I don't know, I've gotta say, you love the first season of Daredevil so much, mm-hmm. the part of me's like, I'm gonna watch this and be like, eh, that guy's alright. And you're gonna be like, no, it's amazing. <laughs> it's true,
0: I might, I, I very feel well could. You, be.
1: You've shown up so much for the first season of Daredevil today that I'm like, I don't know if I can trust Jeff's opinion on anything. Well, anymore. I'm
0: not, I, I, again, I think the first season of daredevil actually is not great. I mean, in terms of the way that it's written, like it starts strong, then it really loses its way. It's sort of depending on who you talk to wins it back in the end or not. But I think that if you watch the first season of daredevil, you can sit there and be like, okay, I feel, and maybe someone's willing to fist fight me on this. Cause this has certainly happened before. Uh, like, that, you know, that's a good actor. I think that person is better than their material. I think Charlie Cox is able to do much more as Mur- Matt Murdock than I would have thought. You know, sort of the same way that you, to me, I can watch Luke Cage and I'm like, yeah, uh, the guy playing Luke Cage is good, but holy God, you know, Marshallah Ali is fucking incredible, you know? And, and I, so I sort of feel like I'm not saying that you're going to watch, you know, I I think – I would like to think that I can parse those things out, but who knows? Maybe not. Maybe my inability to tell a good TV show from a bad TV show means I can't tell a good actor from a bad actor.
1: All I'm saying is you've been on pain medications this far.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love <Things> the idea.
1: <laughs> may seem like somewhat out of whack, which reminds me, Jeff.
0: Yes. Yes, Graham? Starbrand. Oh yes, Starbrand.
1: Holy <laughs> Cause shit. we have made it like an
0: hour into this episode. Yes. Theoretically, our Starbrand special. Yes. We're not actually talking about Starbrand. Well, and we should. I mean, I took such absurdly copious notes the second, from my second did read-through. Yeah? Oh my god. So I, first of all,
1: cause I know you did a, another read-through, and I want to ask, cause I also read this like, at least a month ago. Right. Uh, which was when we were excited about it. And then this week was like, I have to reread it. And it felt like the worst in the world yes well I so resented doing the read through the reread before I did it yeah
2: because
1: I was just like like it's fun to read these shitty comics when you haven't read them for 20 years or 30 years Mm mhm Oh, it's yeah. less
0: fun when you've read them a month ago and you remember how yeah. bad they are. Well, see, and the, uh, yes, I absolutely agree. the The first time a month ago when I read this stuff, I was like, "Oh my god!" And it was right around the time you were doing yours and posting stuff on the Tumblr. I was like, "Yeah, we've got to do this." But the, if if I was a younger man, enough of those details would have stuck because I think the thing that I I find fascinating, and maybe you will flat out disagree, is Starbrand is 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 such an impressive failure, and at at multiple. <laughs> on, I on would not disagree with that. Right, on multiple <laughs> I... levels, and yet there's part of me that's kind of like. I think there's a little bit of. What is it that makes it so terrible? Because there's different, so many different flavors of terrible, and there's also sort of like, what's going on here? Why are some of the choices being made that they are? Like, the thing that I found really weird is when you get to the second volume of Star Brand, which is when John Byrne takes over, uh, I, it seems very glib to be like, oh, and it's terrible because Byrne really doesn't care about star brand or the story he literally just wants to character assassinate jim shooter via mary sue proxy for for like a close to a dozen issues and that seems like it, the glib take like all, but, but yeah. it's kind of true no all it's Night totally Night is, true it's totally all
1: that like yeah so jim shooter created Ken Connell, the lead, the lead character of his issues, yeah. very much in his image. Like yeah. he's very much put a lot of into it. How can I really, really, really shit on Jim Shooter? I know. I'll make this guy insane. I'll make him nuke his hometown. I will then say he's a rapist. Then I will have him form a death cult. Yeah. Yeah, and it just and keeps that going on four and issues. Yeah. Time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, like, yeah. it's fucking amazing. Yeah, and the thing that I think is interesting to me, and and the thing that's actually frustrating about it, is is that it is, it's relatively, it's lazy and it's inaccurate. Like, when you read the stuff, one of the things that is interesting about Shooter's Star Brand and what everyone is left to, to tussle with up until Burn takes over is, some really interesting, problematic, in some ways deliberately and in some ways unintentionally problematic material with the character. And, oh shit! Yes. <laughs> and, and what's fascinating is is that Burn doesn't have the patience or the interest or the uh, ability or talent or whatever. I think mainly it's just interest. I, I that it's just his that he doesn't take the time to um, to make basically to make to make his points work within the process of the story,
1: like oh no, but Burn genuinely takes on Starbrand to shit on it. Yes, and by by two issues into Burn's run, mm-hmm. he has literally killed off the entire cast with the exception of the lead character and that is, uh, sorry, three issues because he does kill yeah, three issues in the yep. third issue. Yep. But also, he forgets Doug's name by the second issue. Yeah. Which is
0: amazing. Yeah, there's a the, the Duck weird... has an
1: entirely different name yeah. by the second issue and is never talked about. Yeah. Well,
0: it sort of is. It sort of is. I mean, if you say never it's talked though... about it. It depends on what your thing is. It depends on what your definition is. There's a weird point where um, everyone calls uh, Duck, Debbie Deb the Duck um, Maddie when she is pregnant and is leaves Pittsburgh, and yes. and at one point she says, "That's a name I haven't heard in a long time." Right, but you because and she says that Ken Ken was Ken came up with my stage name, so there's some weird backstory there where the idea that she's Debbie Duck is actually her version of Joan Jet. I mean, there's there's a lot going on there. But I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily what you're talking about or there's some other emphasis. But No, 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 that that's exactly what I was talking yeah. about
1: because he I don't know, I just I don't it sounds ridiculous to say I don't believe that mm-hmm. no but I, yeah. the fact that like the fact that literally it's never suggested during Shooter's Run that her name is not yes Deborah. yeah to the yeah. point where she identifies herself mm-hmm. to Barb at one point by her full name yes in the shooter Run yeah yep and then when Burn comes along he's like no she's actually called Maddie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Deb Deb is a nickname
0: yeah
1: and it's like what
0: yeah it's like it, it's well,
1: weird but there's yeah, weird there's there i there the was bur- the burn run is legitimately strange yeah there, there like is the shooter good. run is strange in a totally different way yeah. in that i genuinely believe shooter was like i am writing the next generation of superhero comic but could not get out of his head enough well and, and like it's it's a full of uh shooter weirdness
0: on so many levels. Let's yeah, let's let's stop putting the cart before the horse. Let's go back and let's talk about Starbrand Volume One, which is shooter's original I, run I, and I'm the people who so follow that, it.
1: Yeah. Did you actually buy volume because I bought volume two during that uh, Kindle
0: sale. Yeah, I I, bought, I got them both I, I the, 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 oh, that enormous okay. sale. I was like I've I'm I've got to have both of these. You know? And then of course I was literally like, what have I done? What have I done? Yeah, even for the probably three dollars you
1: spent, I, I, exactly. I think it was overpriced.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the thing that's really crazy about it is, uh I don't Volume know.
1: One everything, right? Volume one includes the annual, like the Bobby Chase annual. Holy shit, that Bobby Chase shit.
0: annual, right? Holy yeah. fuck, that's amazing. That shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's go to let's go back to the shooter yeah. issues to begin yeah. with. Yep. Shooter's
1: run lasts from issue one through issue seven. The issue seven, he only plots and Roy Thomas scripts. Yes, that's right. Uh, right. Because by that point, Shooter's been fired from Marvel.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh,
1: it is. It was the lead book of the new universe,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, right up until issue six, when all of a sudden it drops by monthly, while all the other books stick with monthly.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know if that's a deadline thing, if that's a Shooter being fired thing, whatever was happening. Right. But it never, it never goes back to monthly. After that, it stays by monthly, even though the other books are monthly.
2: Yeah,
1: um, it is. It's, I mean, it's it's Green Lantern. Yes, <laughs> like it, it's unambiguously Green Lantern mm-hmm. It's the first issue. Yeah, um, to the point where Ken Connell, the let's be perfectly honest, the Jim Shooter stand-in, mm-hmm. is introduced as the daredevil by small d character. Yeah. Uh, who instead of a test pilot is a crazy biker. Yeah. Um, and you know, he's fearless as well. Mm-hmm. And he gets the, the weapon from the alien who is like, it's the most powerful weapon in the universe. You've, you're getting it because you're fearless. But then there's an add-on, I want to say in the second or third issue where the, the, someone essentially says, being fearless is really bad. Being fearless is, is, is a sign of. Yes. Uh, uh, they don't actually come out and say like mental illness, but they kind of do.
0: Yeah. There's, yeah. there's
1: an implication that it is not healthy to be fearless.
0: It's actually later in the first issue. One of the things that is, really? Yeah, it really is. It really is. He uh, Ken shows up uh, to to his buddy Myron's place, shows him that he can fly, and then recounts the whole story and saying things that he said keep coming back to me. And one of the things is he mentions that idea. You know, like Ken says, like I said, he should get a lion tamer, an astronaut, somebody fearless. And he said, fearlessness is the absence of reason. One of the things I think is interesting is on the one hand, uh, like part of me is like, okay, this is a, a, a smart way for shooter to basically not have the entire issue be the scene between Connell and the old man. What unfortunately it does is it begins the, um, the problem that, that just infests Starbrand like a plague, which is every time the story gets recapped, Shooter obsessively pokes new holes in it and, and also tries to semi retcon things, um, as he goes along. So that honestly, like you said, like he's only there for the first six or seven issues. And by the time that he is done with it, um, the series has more or less dug itself into a trench of of just tail-eating regression. Like, it, it
1: is amazing that by the time Shooter leaves at issue 7, three of those issues have been I've gotten my powers from this alien, The alien is dead, The alien is not dead, The alien has come back and retconned the origin, yep. turned out to be a villain, died again, not died again, yep. come back from the dead a third time. Yep. Yeah. And retcon the origin again yeah.
0: in seven issues. Yep, yeah. the six issues in it. The the threat that it is origin and alien, then terrorists in the second issue, then spies in the third issue, superpowered mental hospital escapees, then spies who are terrorists, and then it's back to the alien again. Like it is such a a tightly constricted little circle. Again, because part of what shooter is. Doing it in Starbrand that that I think really fucks him up is he's not constructing anything; he's deconstructing things in a way that gives him almost nowhere to go. Like he. Well, continually... It's an astoundingly
1: claustrophobic series, yes. even when Shooter is launching it. Yeah, 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 yeah. The series the series has essentially five characters Mm -hmm. now six characters but one of them is the underage babysitter that ken wants to fuck until he doesn't want to fuck her right i mean that plot literally goes nowhere and is one of those a lot of the series actually is a lot of um gym shooters clearly working through something oh yeah Uh, you know and, and like uncomfortably so
0: well, because I think he. Especially
1: because I then researched. I was reading up on the like, the new universe, yada, yada. Uh-huh. And I found out that Debbie is actually based on one of Jim Shooter's ex
0: girlfriends. Okay. That's amazing. What Did you find out anything else about that, or just sort of that simple statement? No, just that.
1: Apparently, Myron and Debbie are both apparently based on people Shooter knew.
0: Which sort of makes sense because but like the characters Debbie themselves. In particular? Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm
1: hmm. Is like considering because let's be honest, she's treated like shit throughout the entire book by everyone. Uh yeah, yes and no. Apart apart from Roger and Roger's wife, whose name I've completely forgotten.
0: Well, okay, let's let's keep it split. Let's keep it split separate. I I, let's if you don't mind, let's talk about volume one and volume two as two different things. You know, so so yeah, in the in the first volume, it's amazing how little stuff makes kind of makes sense you know but and and the stuff with Myron and and Debbie Duck both feel sort of because they seem to almost serve no purpose and they have a lot of texture but that texture is really not put to any sort of story ends um there's no You suspect that it's real life. You buy, you
1: buy that they're based on real people because they, it's not that they add anything to the series, because arguably they add the most to the series, but they don't serve any narrative purpose. Exactly. In in a way that like Barb does, and Barb, by comparison, comes across as very fictional, very unreal. Yeah. Because she is purely there to, to honestly work out shooter's issues. Like in, in a, it really, you don't think there's some like wacky shits going on with Shooter's relationship with women in general and Shooter's relationship with monogamy going on? I'm oh, being oh no, no,
0: the- no, 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 no. I think, I think Shooter has issues with women and I think Shooter's got huge issues with monogamy. But how do I put it? I don't think that – I'm not sure that the stuff – A, I'm not sure what is, if the, the stuff with Deb is actually that – is necessarily... I mean, with Deb, with Barb, is necessarily that fictional. Again, it just feels... Um, it has less texture to it, so it's tempting to make it be like, oh, this is going to go to some genre stuff too. But no, what I thought was interesting was rereading this, the shooter issues. How much... Because um, you've got separate situations where Ken gets together with friends who are characters that have never been mentioned before and aren't going to be mentioned again, really... And a lot of the reason for that is for those friends to basically say like Yeah, you know, basically you gotta fuck everything that you can. Like there's a point where Oh yeah, Ken, that,
1: that's astounding. That that is is that issue three or four?
0: I, I It I might even have,
1: be later, it might be five, right?
0: Yeah, it's 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 relatively in there.
1: Where where Ken can Ken and, and Debbie go to hang out with the friends, mm-hmm. and the friend actually tells Ken outright, I like Debbie, she's a bimbo like my woman, but you should just cheat on her.
0: Yeah. yeah like, yeah. you
1: seem stressed, well, why don't you just fuck strangers? Yep. And he and even says, that's what I really do. Paraphr- mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing we're really paraphrasing is the use of the word fuck. Yeah. Because he does, like, outright say... You you should hook up with strangers, which then comes to the hilarious. Ken flies to a beach, meets a woman, and they fox. Oh, that's you.
0: right. Yeah, that is. She's that's
2: like, right.
1: Yeah, you, this is later you on.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And
1: he's like, "No, I have to leave." Yeah. But it's it's.
0: Yeah, man,
1: there's some there is some wacky shit going on in these issues, and what's? I, and I want to know if you have the same opinion as me in this. That shit. Feels like what you'd have wanted to write about, mm-hmm. and theoretically the a plots mm-hmm. all feel like afterthoughts. Like the it's terrorists, it's spies, it's mm-hmm. like ran, people he run into who have fear powers. Right. All seems like he's like, oh, but it's a, it's I've got to have punching.
0: Well, okay, he's aware, aware that it's was, aware
1: right, man,
0: right? Well so that there's a lot of stuff that that i feel that shooter is addressing and redressing here and as people know who've who've heard us talk um particularly during some of the um stuff that was happening during the avengers run and our talk like Shooter sort of has kind of the um I guess what I think of is reverse Gene Roddenberry syndrome, or or a variation on Gene Roddenberry syndrome. You know, Harlan Ellison said that Gene Roddenberry only had one plot, which is mankind goes into space, finds God, and God is a is a an insane child. You know, and Jim Shooter is like one plot is like you give a dude ultimate power, and they're gonna want to bone with it. You know, and and. His, his, I mean, it's perhaps not unsurprising that it, that terrifying uh, memo leaked that was Jim Shooter's notes about the sexuality of all the members of the Legion of Superheroes. You know, he has a belief that sexuality is a, is like kind of an important driving force. And I think I've talked before about the little, you know, shooters sort of hidden like shut up nerds kind of concept like i'm you know shooter had a lot of um neuroses like i think he felt really incredibly insecure as a as a kid who grew up like poor in pittsburgh um you know more or less ended up writing comics very very young uh ended up having to swallow you know tremendous amounts of shit working under mort weisinger as just about anyone who as everyone who worked under mort weisinger did but some people to lesser or greater um willingness well i mean so. he
1: also and he was doing it when he was 13 years old well, see
0: there you go so so here's here's somebody who's 13 years old who starts writing in comics you know who i assume is not going to have a ch- is, is smart and i'm assuming when they talk about ken being self-educated you know shooter mostly is as well um he has the 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 chips and things that he has on his shoulder and the insecurities that he has um he makes up for with this idea that is not really any different from what most people at the Comics Journal were saying at the time is is that most of the other people writing for comics had no no life experience really to speak of. They were just mimicking what they had read in comic books up to that point and were such big nerds. They had nothing else going on. It was all they knew was their book learning. Shooter, by contrast, had quote unquote lived, you know, and by living, I, he, I, he defined that as he dated, you know, he had sex, he had sex with married women, he had sex, well, with, he had sex with women who had kids, Um, you know, he had sex with women who were um uh, clearly like super needy, who thought that he was great or said that they were in love with him. And the extent to which Shooter was aware, like, of sort of the actual life experience of, I'm using this person, am I a good person, am I a bad person? And what's interesting about Starbrand is is that he is trying to move beyond simple comic book morality of like, oh, Ken Connell's a good person, Ken Connell's a bad person, Like Shooter's really like, I want to show that people are really just somewhere in between and and kind of have to be because monogamy is an enormous lie and any man given the chance will absolutely fuck anyone and everything. And once we can just all admit that and kind of get over our hang-ups, we'll be fine. And of course, you cut to the horrified group of people who are like... That's not all of human experience, and and Shooter's like, no, it's okay, we're all friends here, we can talk about this, this really is the truth, like, women are incredibly needy, and it makes sense for whatever reasons, and guys are just going to take advantage of that, and that's just the way the culture is that's just the way society is and people should stop saying thinking of one another as good and bad when really we're just trapped in a terrible situation that means that i will have as much vagina as i can get possibly in my life and and other people are going to judge me for that you know and it's 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 kind of crazy and the thing that i find kind of actually really strange and disappointing is when Byrne comes in and takes all of his cheap shots and i i won't stick on this long because it should be its own point it's amazing how much one of the first things he has myron say to ken is is like you just use this power to get girls and ken's like oh no 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 well kind of well not really and the the one of the things that Shooter goes out of his way to establish is the idea that Ken Connell is already, you know, knee deep in vagina well before he gets superpowers, and that's kind of his point: is is that is that the superpowers are really just an additional level of they don't they don't make you you the way that comic book superheroes. Are defined by their powers being them like Shooter does not believe that there's a whole list of things that Shooter does not believe that comic books accurately represent and in the course of deconstructing those things um, he ends up essentially neutering any potential for drama because of course he's like well Ken Connell is not going to put himself out on a ledge and really risk revealing himself and you're never going to get a situation where he runs into a supervillain by accident because that never happens except in that one issue with the mental hospital escapees where I'm going to have it happen, but it's kind of a one time, you know, I'm going to point out that he's never going to see them again. Um, shooter is, shooter basically is so eager to deconstruct all the rest of the superhero stuff. And that, to me, that's just important to him that, what the the Marvel superhero um, more or less stands for for him, he's like, yeah, that probably represented people's mores and beliefs and ideas and sexuality back in 1961 and 1963, in which our identity is tied to what we do. But he's like, but I want to show the world outside your window, which is basically that people do all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons, if it involves having sex with other people and the rest of it is all just additional levels of of headache that don't necessarily define you but when you have a superhero comic in which your main character is not defined by being a superhero you're left with nothing and it's amazing that Shooter really was going li- to thought that this is going to be the flagship of a universe that is totally going to redefine the nature of superhero comics and it's like when it's just, well anyway, I feel like I'm talking and you're just, you're probably sitting there reading the comics being like, I remember when I had good points. I wish I hadn't let him talk about Death <laughs> Note. I'm never going to get a chance to say my good points now, so.
1: Well no, I, I, I part of me wanted to interrupt you when you're, cause I think you're reading more into Burns' criticism of shooters' fascination with sexuality than is actually there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think the, I think the Myron getting the girl part in, in issue shit 11, mm-hmm. um is, is like the, the parting cheap shot, as intended as the parting cheap shot, and what, uh, Ken is responding to is the other stuff that Myron is saying, which is much more an attack on sure self-image in terms of you surround yourself by Weaker, needier people, be- and you you played down your own skills because you want people to compliment you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which uh, and, and and that right. rang like that rang rings much more, uh, maybe not true but important to me mm-hmm. than the the girl part.
2: Mm.
1: And, and so it was interesting to me. Like I literally looked back and I was like, I don't even really remember the getting the girl part. And I was looking back and, and looking at the page and being like, Yeah, I I think I think you're right about shooters focus on it. Mm-hmm Uh, and I think that, in a weird way, I think that's all subconscious on Shooter's part. I think Shooter really does genuinely believe he is like updating the Marvel formula and making these relatable people because Ken Connell is him. Right. But at the same time, it just shows Shooter's, uh, how, I was gonna say how unique Shooter is. Mm -hmm. Which is probably not true, but the shooter has a very particular worldview. Mm -hmm. And the shooter's worldview is far more self-censored and Mm -hmm. far-centered, as opposed to censored, which is what it sounded like, and and far more egotistical. Mm -hmm. And I think he was aware he was...
0: Oh, because... Uh, Grant, do you mind what, Pat, repeating? You, you suddenly did... dropped out for like just two seconds there. Sorry. Like literally just okay. when you got to your noun. So what, what was that?
1: I was I, saying that Ken Connell is far more self-centered and far more egotistical than I think Shooter realized he was making him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because, as you said, Shooter drops out the traditional superhero elements of Starbrand
2: mm-hmm.
1: and is like, look, this is a realistic guy. But what you're left with is this amazing sort of like proto-slacker mm-hmm. who exists to question whether he's reached his whole his full potential, mm-hmm. while everyone around him is telling him that he's wonderful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And every now and again, he's like, oh, "I should probably try." Oh, what if I go and take care of these terrorists? Ugh, oh, that was no fun. Right. You know, and you're let, like, Ken Connell is an astoundingly A passive and B unlikable lead character in the shooter run. Yeah, he, like, right, yes. Basically so. mm-hmm. And what's fascinating to me is when you get to the po- immediate post-shooter issues mm-hmm. and you have Carrie Bates and Bobby Chase writing. Right. How they deal with shooter's version of Ken Connell. Cause Burton pretty much like keeps him around to insult him. Yeah. But, 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 Bates and, and Chase actually try and treat him as a character. Oh yeah. And their version of him mm-hmm. is fascinatingly sociopathic.
0: Actually, you know, the thing that I, it's funny that you mentioned that because mentioned the, Chase, the Chase, the Chase, the Chase issue is fucking phenomenal in it's, this, it's in still, the way <laughs> that, that it is a, that it is, that Ken is, um, a brash young man to the point of being a sociopath. But interestingly enough, in a kind of, um, there's a way in which Chase's story makes sense within a certain sociopath. Well, yeah, exactly. In a certain framework, which is to say that, that by crafting the star brand annual is very much in the vein of the sort of, Directive video erotic thrillers, or or even just sort of some of the erotic thrillers, it it, it it's much closer to be like being an identifiable thing, and it, and it, that identifiable thing is kind of like you see represented in bad movies, but also has a kind of consistent worldview, which is essentially that everyone is terrible and mistaken. And which is which I think is really helpful in in the sense of the star brand annual everyone no one makes it out of the star brand annual um, unscarred in fact spoilers ken connell 's the only one who makes it out a lot you yes. know but <laughs> but at the stage of it, every character from the insane boyfriend to to the the French uh, woman who uh, Ken falls in love with like at every stage they are both inherently wrong and right i guess about things they're never right about the things that they think they think they're right about but they more or less end up creating a world or a universe in which they prove their worst suspicions right about the world and i think that's really fascinating as a way to interpret um uh, star, both star brand and sort of shooters, what shooters doing in a way that is more layered and more interesting than what Burns critique ends up being. I do yeah, want to- well, m- No,
1: no, exactly. There exactly. There, there's a lot more to, uh, I, as weirdly cartoonish as Chase's annual is. Yes. She at least addresses shooters version of Connell. hmm she, she does so, and also can only make him seem heroic. By surrounding him by worse people, <laughs> like <laughs> no, but Ken's Ken's quote-unquote friend who flies him to—is it fucking Switzerland? Yes, flies him to Switzerland, seemingly with the only reason that he su- should seduce the the friend's girlfriend mm-hmm. to prove that the girlfriend is unfaithful. Yeah, and then when it looks like it might happen, hires assassins to kill both of them. Yeah, is astounding. Yeah. But Connell feels consistent with what Shooter was writing in a way that, like, Burns doesn't. Yes. You know, for that matter, Carrie Bates doesn't. Carrie Bates, I feel, in in his three issues, is trying to write a more traditionally superhero version.
0: Well, and I, I have to say, I've got to parse out some differences in just a second, but I do want to say one of the things that's interesting for me about the 20 years from when I read most of these star brand comics not all of them and when i revisited them is, is since then having read i didn't think much of carrie bates back in the day i was like oh, he's fine he's a generic dc guy working in the generic dc stuff that was before i read trial of the flash as you know i'm a huge fan of some of the stuff that he was doing in the flash with barry allen and barry allen's midlife crisis and all the other mm-hmm. stuff leading up to the trial. So when I saw him... And he, appear, was also around this, he was also around this time doing Video Jack for Epic. Do you remember Video Jack? Oh, I know it was out in the world. I never read it. Never it's
1: read so it. weird. Like, it's um, it's very much of the... And I want to say it was like 86, 87. Mm-hmm. But it feels very much like Bates, who was in many respects like a journeyman writer. Mm-hmm. But it feels like he had watched Max Headroom. And was then like me and Keith Giffen are going to make this really fucking surreal series right like i've I've re- just read American Flag, I've just watched Max Headroom
2: mm-hmm. I'm on it, mm-hmm.
1: and it's a really weird, unusual not what you expect from Bates series, mm. which kind of makes me wish he'd done more starbrand well because
0: he he had some he had some wackiness in in him. I, he, well, he does. I mean, you look at the trial of the flash stuff or some of the other stuff he was doing with Barry Allen. The reason why I'm actually, I got really excited as shit when I saw Carrie Bates' name on there because I was like, oh crap, Bates might be the perfect choice for Starbrand because, because he also has some ideas in, with Barry Allen's flash about Using the superhero split as a way to look at male insecurity, I guess, that I thought that would fit potentially very well in with Shooter Star Brand stuff, potentially. And, uh, I want to mention one of the things that's interesting is, as you know, the, that, um, the second of the two Star Brand issues that Bates does, he does do with Keith Giffen, and it's mm-hmm. their Night Mask Kirby issue, which I, I didn't think came off especially well, but it was interesting yeah, to see that they, you It's know. an
1: interesting failure, but it's also very traditionally, it's the most traditional of the issues, I think.
0: Yes. Um, it is, it is uh, to both in a way sort of to its detriment in a way that, um, the previous issue before had a certain, um, like it, Fit in with shooter's rules. There was another thing I wanted to mention about shooter's run, which actually, I, um but before I get to that, I want to actually mention, you keep, you uh, have conflated Kerry Bates with George Carragoni. George Carragoni does Oh, actually I have. He writes, he writes the, he writes the, the yeah, yeah, you're totally
1: right. Which Carragoni does issue 10? 10. 10 issue Bates 10. is 8 and 9, and Carragoni yeah. does issue 10, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and Carragoni is interesting, because of course I was like, who the fuck is George Carragoni? And you must have, you probably are better at tracking this than I did, but Carragoni was the guy who actually ended up being the co-founder of Penthouse Comics, and he actually committed suicide in What's 95 saying? before his 30th birthday, which is, uh, to me, just like, reading Carragone... Because I was like, oh, Caragoni and Mark Bagley. I was going to be like, who are these guys, Graham? But I really was like, I don't know who George Carragoni is. I mean, you know, the Bagley thing was sarcastic. And reading his Wikipedia entry is like one of the saddest things ever. Because uh killed himself before he was 30, created Penthouse Comics, but before he did that, he was had been an animator who more or less went like... Wrote comic, ended up writing a bunch of comics for the Star Comics line, ended up doing Star Brand at issue 10, follows Shooter to the Valiant universe, and like basically when he hears Shooter's doing it, drives all the way to New York and apparently walks in and offers his services. And, uh, ends up writing like licensed comics for Valiant, like he really doesn't have, he's got this, li- this, this terrifying life of someone who like, Tried to follow Jim Shooter and get in close with Jim Shooter as a way of building his career, and then just ends up uh, in a weird funhouse mirror version of Jim Shooter, founding pornographic comics, and then being fired, and then and then literally leaping to his death in a way that that of course Shooter did not. But it's really, I just wanted to mention it because it's one of those things of like, oh, holy shit, like that's a little footnote that's way more sad and depressing than I would have. Like, wow, something more depressing than the Starbrand stories. That's remarkable. Um, yeah, Bates had, I had that moment with Bates where I'm like, oh, if he had kept doing it, maybe he could have gotten somewhere interesting with Starbrand. Oh, right, which is the other thing is is the Graham, I... I feel that the star, shooter star brand comics are paced really weirdly. I also feel like they're paced more like TV than comics. Did you get that feeling? Like, the first issue in particular has the sort of...
1: The first issue is paced astoundingly strangely to the point where you do wonder whether this story has been cut up.
0: Yeah. Um, but all of the rest of the stuff, like, it's very common as, as you know, and I know the Marvel formula of basically, like, you know, open with a dramatic action scene, get in some talking, close with a dramatic action scene, kind of, you know, two one two kind of deal. Shooter is doing a lot of gabbing and then the action comes in and is usually quick and reminded me in a lot of ways, weirdly, of the Incredible Hulk TV show. Like, not in any way in the sense of, like, you know, there's, like, bad special effects there, but I was surprised by how much of it um, Shooter is keeping really minimal, he's keeping super heavy on their relationships, and even when the power stuff breaks out, sometimes it's super big. But in the stuff with the terrorists and the spies, it's literally like I'm flying and I'm getting lost. In fact, and this is really weird, is how much Star Brand kind of resembles Green Lantern, but also the greatest American hero. Like, do you remember <laughs> that T V show?
1: I never I've never seen the show. So it's... I, I know it exists. I know yes. what it is.
0: Yeah, you know it what it that. is.
1: So it for... didn't have a show called "The Greatest American Hero" in a country that wasn't America. That is shocking to me because just point uh, that out there. It's, it's, it's... here is the thing. They yeah. probably did. <laughs> they... <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> they did. Um, um, no, but what what I think is is responsible for that is I think Shooter is very much trying to keep to the quote unquote rules of the new universe, mm-hmm. which was new universe was supposed to take place in real time. Right. So that, like, by the end of a year, a year would have passed. Yes. And also that nothing so big would happen that it would break the quote-unquote reality of the, of the universe. Right.
0: Yeah. There could not so be anything have, that didn't happen outside the world, real world, so to speak. Right. So you
1: have, like, you have a nuclear explosion, but it's a nuclear explosion that happens at the very bottom of the ocean. Yeah. And it's essentially... Deafened by by Starbrand, Mm -hmm. and you know you have he attacks the terrorists later after you know they they kind of piss him off, Mm -hmm. but it's it's sort of hushed up and it's it's reported in the news like things happened who knows right Um, and the the mechanics of that mean that you can't have the traditional superhero fight Mm -hmm. spect you know you've got to you've got to have something smaller and I think shooter was. Uh, as the guy who came up with this rule, Mm -hmm. maybe the only person in the new universe who actually believed it. Yeah. Uh, I I actually also read the first issues of Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. Mm. Inspired by this, inspired loosely, by this... Uh, and it's amazing how quickly that book just like careens off into like bad Iron Man. I'm gonna say it quickly I mean like by issue two.
0: Oh yeah, well the, as you know, because Starbrand pops up in issue five, they reprinted in volume one here and issue five of Starbrand and uh, Spitfire and the Troubleshooters written by Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas, uh, is is, yeah, clearly you've got like a machine rampaging down the streets in Boston with like an overheating power pack kind of thing. And it's like, okay, that's clearly, that's clearly a game changer. And, and, but to be fair, honestly, it's also in its completely sort of hackneyed way. Like, it's, it's more interesting yes, than Star. But... It's, it's more interesting than Starbrand. One of the things yeah, that's fascinating to me... is. Yeah, shooter removes all these, puts in all these little rules in place and, and doesn't realize the extent or doesn't care at the extent to which it checkmates the ability to, to get a story that can progress some way.
1: Oh, somehow. I, I know. I, I think he, I think he is perfectly aware of what it does to the, to this story, mm-hmm. but I think he is also very much of the mindset of, the only way to get to the quote-unquote future of comics is to make sure that we can't write the same stories again. I think the part that he's missing is you have to have something to replace it. Exactly. And he, and, and doesn't. he doesn't. He really he doesn't. Just, yeah. For his his seven issues, he just repeatedly demonstrates that he has nothing to replace it to the point where When the old man comes back and he's like, "I'm an alien, and I, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have a fight that will eventually go into fucking space." Yeah, that is the most memorable part of Shooter's Run Mm -hmm. because it is breaking his own rules, but it's giving there. There actually is conflict in these stories Mm -hmm. because without it, there is soap opera that is just illustrating Shooter's own. Uh, relationship hangups. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, it's not just the sexual hangups, cause Myron is very particular. You know, Myron is there to, uh, glorify Ken, but also to show the ways in which Ken cannot, uh, has reason not to trust other men.
0: Right. Actually, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, the Myron stuff, again, is something that's uh, weird because I really had that thing of like, either Shooter has never been to therapy and just read some decent, you know, some, some half interested read some descriptions of it, or he knew someone that was like a completely, utterly unethical therapist. And the idea that Myron was based on a real person, because you've got situations where therapy sessions are happening, but they're not, or there's that classic like he he invites Ken into a group therapy session and is like, "Oh, it's okay, you know most of these people um and also and he then weaponizes that
1: therapy session against Ken exactly he, exactly uh there's also. Myron is living with one of his exactly
0: patients. his patients, who he's making work for the room and board and therapy, and it's a woman who is like bringing in the groceries. Everything about it is like this is but unethical. but Myron is Myron is the
1: um. I'm trying to have a good way of saying this without like you know delving into like yeah. Uh, uncomfortable cliches but if ken is the alpha male
2: mm-hmm.
1: then myron is the beta male and he is showing how untrustworthy he is how uh i don't want to say immoral because i think that ken also comes across as very immoral mm-hmm. but myron is immoral in a very particular way very untrustworthy right. very uh selfish and weak and and selfish because he's weak Uh, And and trying to manipulate Ken and therefore illustrating Ken's uh, superiority as a result.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm I'm tempted to say that that he exists. I mean, I, I think the idea that he exists is a reason for Ken to not trust men. Although you see Ken have other relationships that are not... With his coworkers or his boss, for example, that are in no way especially fraught, I think the thing that 's interesting about Myron is the idea that myron is is untrustworthy and and amoral and that 's the thing when you say immoral I think this is i think shooter's ultimate contribution is the idea that Essentially he, I think Shooter himself, there's a very good case to be made, is an amoral person and is aware of the importance of moral posturing, but it, it ultimately does not believe it. Ken doesn't believe it, Myron doesn't believe it, that, that morality actually exists or is anything other than something that you pay lip service to. And most of what people do in the world is either to get what they want or to keep what they have. That's not necessarily um, an uninteresting place to go uh, with any sort of comic or any sort of drama. Though it's just his inability to dramatize it is is the part that's really kind of a shame, you know. Well, also, like, how conscious do you think this isn't Shooter's part? Uh
1: His... Because... His, I- because yeah. part of me thinks that Shooter is such a bad writer that if he was actually trying to intentionally do that, he would do it in a much more up and less subtle way.
0: Um, I have a little more faith in Shooter, actually, weirdly enough. I mean, one of the things that – as someone chided us way back when, and I, I, I don't think it was Dan Coyle who goaded us into doing this or – goaded is the no, wrong no, word, we, actually.
1: We, no, but, but but we should also completely give Dan credit because yeah. I said in the back of the building, I don't remember why we're doing it. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's totally that's what
0: he did suggest that yeah. we thought it was a good idea. Exactly. Sorry, I, I did want to make sure that Dan got credit, but he may well have been the person because at one point when uh before I reread the issues, I was we were talking about the idea that that Debbie was more or less mentally disabled and more or less having sex with Ken, and people were like, she's not, she's not mentally and uh it's the, some of the writing is very very bad and it's kind of iffy but there but here's right debbie has terrible self esteem but one of the things that is interesting about the scope of the 6 or 7 issues that is is quote unquote subtle is the idea in which ken is more or less in love with debbie and talks about the fact Basically, reoccurrently refers to her as the best person and defends her at several points where people are like, hey, she's just a bimbo. And he's like, I think she's the best person I, I've i ever known, you know, and I think, I think the idea that, that shooter was trying to build toward something that was like a, a, a romance there or that would have made like Ken would have ended up making that sort of moral decision that's really, you know, the sort of thing that you see in any romantic movie kind of deal. Um, well, he,
1: he kind of gets there because by yeah. the end of
0: shooter's run, right.
1: Barb is out of the picture. Yeah. Barb then immediately reappears because of hay filling issues, Yeah. but Barb has, has kicked Ken out and mm-hmm. Ken ends up with Debbie yes. at the end of shooter's run. That's right. Yeah. And is arguably happier.
0: Yeah yeah because of that exactly exactly which again is one of those things that is kind of especially churlish about burn when he comes in is he makes it a point to to knock those blocks out you know to... but
1: everything about the burn run is churlish i mean yeah really seriously yeah uh should we just go on to the burn issues i
0: think i think we should i think we've sort of talked about the uh, we've we've talked I think about the shooter stuff as as thoroughly as we should. We should move on to the burn stuff. Because, holy shit, the burn stuff is horrible. I mean, and it really is...
1: It's genuinely breathtaking how much the first couple of issues in particular, which is the lead-up to him blowing up Pittsburgh, lead-up to Ken Connell blowing up Pittsburgh, feels spiteful. Yeah.
0: So spiteful.
1: I feel like genuinely spiteful towards... Not only Shooter, but everything that has happened before in the comic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And don't get me wrong; I think you and I have made it clear that we don't particularly like the previous issues of the comic, right. and that it's filled with flaws. Mm-hmm. But Shooter seems to be angry at those issues
0: of the oh, comic. You mean Burn? It's going to be this is going sorry, to. Sorry, yeah, Burn. Lot. Sorry, yeah,
1: yeah. Burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Burn. Burn seems angry at the at the the earlier issues of the comic. And determined to rub everyone's noses in it for reading them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and just being like, "These are stupid. These are dumb. These you're like just everything about this is terrible."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And those two issues are just, um, just really weirdly mean. Oh yeah, well, and also set up. It, it, they also set up something that recurs through the entire thing, which is there's that entire subplot for two issues of. The guy who's like, I know who, to Starbrand is. Right. I know him. Like, and I'm with my, my mistress who I left my wife for. Yeah. And I hate her. Right. And then, like, the second issue, they get blown up and it never goes anywhere. Oh, because it's like, it's super weird. It's, it's a red herring though. I mean, everything no, that ha- said, Like, so much of this is a, like, so much of Burnt Run is a red herring. Yeah. So much of Burnt Run is, you think this? Nope. You think this? Nope, and
0: there's nothing to it beyond the nope, right? Well, see, that's it. It is its own form of deconstructing the deconstructing. Like, no, you're wrong, um, and having really no interest in going very far, uh, much further than that. That and and honestly, the desire to make Ken Connell more like Jim Shooter, so that it, so that Byrne can have the pleasure of. Punching the, you know, of burning him in effigy. Um, no pun intended.
1: Oh, God. And, and he really does. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, as if the idea that Ken blows up Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, in issue 12 isn't enough. Yeah. When you net see him in issue 14, it was revealed that he has, he's, lo- he's gone insane. Yeah. But in going insane, he has kidnapped a woman and has been raping her for days. Yeah. I wanted to ask you- Which, which genuinely the part where I'm like, there's like, that, oh, somehow that steps over a line, and I don't know why that in particular stepped over a line for me, but I was like, oh, you really hate
0: this guy. Yeah, you really hate this guy. What I, what I've wondered about on that what? front, actually, uh, Graham, and I didn't have the time to, to research this, but I am 90% well, 90. I'm 60% sure that the scene... I'm 30% sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm much less sure. Yeah, exactly. I, I will be down to like 2% sure by the by the end of this sentence. Uh, the, that sequence is a specific shout-out to a shooter sequence with Graviton in the Avengers? Uh, or it's some other shooter story. But isn't it Graviton is the dude who like... I get all this amazing power and he becomes obsessed with the woman in the office who it doesn't really love him, but he's basically like, I've got the ultimate power and you're gonna be with me now and more or less coerces her. And there the, the... I,
1: I genuinely don't know, but at the same time, almost all shooter stories about someone getting the ultimate power include the woman who
0: uh they want but does not want them back. Right.
1: Like that's, that's a recurring theme. That, the that's, series.
0: exactly. And, and this is, but, but I feel like there was something very specific where she does not want him, but she ends up capitulating to him because he is the, you know, sort of the oh, alpha that, male. And yeah. I want to say she maybe even betrays him to free the Avengers or something like that. I don't really remember. It that. might not be Graviton. For some reason I'm thinking of the Corvax saga, but I could be wrong. Uh, the Corvax stuff is a little bit different because he is, uh, but that's actually, Korvac is, is, is different because the woman that he's with, who's like the plant from, I forget who, is supposed to betray him, but she's so in love with him that she doesn't. So it's the two of them. He's, he's so, is so amazing with his sex that she betrays the universe for him. But, um, but I feel like this, Particular sequence, right down to the idea of her hanging suspended in air and begging him, is very is a very specific shout out to a to a shooter sequence. But I could be wrong. But it is also on its own like weirdly vile. And then and except at each issue, like it, it's almost as if um, years before South Park, Burn was like, I'm going to turn Ken Connell into. Oh yeah, into Kenny. From into South Kenny. Park. Yeah, he yeah. dies yeah. in at the end because he kills issue. him yeah.
1: repeatedly yeah. to the point where at one point when Ken dies, he actually says, "Oh
0: no, not again." Yeah, exactly, exactly. But he
1: does. He, he kills him
0: three or four times. Yeah, yeah.
1: And Burntron is nine issues long.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. So at some point, he... so he really is dying like every couple of issues. Yeah, exactly. And he also has him. He has him be convinced that he's the messiah but but know. can we
1: can yeah. we also talk about the fact that when burn is killing him off for a couple of issues that in itself is playing on a shooter trope because shooters oh. killed the old man off like four times well yeah in, in the run of his issues yes and for for Burton's eventual redcon mm-hmm. in the final issue yeah like that kind of like it's it it's almost like he was doing foreshadowing, even though I fully believe that the final issue is Burn pulling it out of his ass at the last moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing... I don't
1: I don't think he's heading towards the, the reveal that he has in that final issue at all, mm-hmm. until yeah, like maybe the issue before.
0: Uh, what I find fascinating about the Starbrand comic, the Volume Two stuff, which includes the pit. In its entirety and, and pivot, I, you know, and then goes back to the Starbrand material is essentially just how bad and half-assed it is. Like, these are bad John Byrne comics. Like, there are points that make no sense. It's, it, it annoys me when he takes stuff that, and contradicts, um, stuff that's explicitly stated in the shooter run. Um, but then you see points w- that literally where Byrne is just contradicting himself. And let's face it, the whole Pit storyline is is just impressively awful. Like, it's all half-assed. Like, they thought it, none of it through. And
1: it's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pit special. Yeah. You They're spending the entire 48 pages going, this is really important, you guys. Yeah. This is a game changer. Nothing will ever be the same. Yeah. And then go on to do nothing with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, and I think, it's- and, and, and not even in the sense of like, well, there's nothing that really follows up it, on it in this, the burn issues of star Brand, Cause they're kind of it. There you, is. You kind yeah. of get like, you know, kind of a bit with it, but I remember this is, this is my secret shame, Jeff. Um, there was a point in the late nineties, no, mid nineties.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, where I discovered a 2nd bookstore mm. that had a shit-ton of Marvel books from the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Or cheap, cheap, cheap. Mm-hmm. So when I say that I have read possibly every single New Universe comic after The Pit, with the exception of The Draft and The War, the two miniseries that ended it, mm-hmm. I'm not exaggerating. Right. And when I tell you that The Pit is honestly a narrative that no one really dared pick up again afterwards. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm not exaggerating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm i fascinated by there's a whole bunch of stuff that's put into place. Like, essentially, they're like, okay, we're going to take the new universe and we're going to turn it into the world's biggest, messiest Stephen King novel. And then they chicken out on it, which is fascinating to me. Like, just the fact, just reading volume two of Starbrand, where one of the most crucial points uh, to the whole pit storyline is the idea of, like, is there life after death? And is there some sort of... Do do people mystically continue the way that The Witness does and what he glimpses in the pit or not? It's a huge, crucial, like... Everything that happens in the pit is supposed to be the suggestion that yes, there is. And yet in every, just about every single issue of Starbrand, Byrne makes it a point of saying, no, there's not. Like, there's the whole point of the Starbrand baby um, destroys Debbie, like kills her, and then afterwards presents himself as like, oh, I integrated her consciousness and it's part of mine. And Jane is like, prove it. And he's like, I can't, I lied, you know, and and at every single stage, it's, it's possible that one could like, if one wanted to be like, oh, it really kind of all means something. It's, it's possible to say that in the course of the various agendas that are happening Within Shooter's run and then Burns run shitting on Shooter while they're so busy running that stuff and filling the pages with the stuff that they're not paying attention to, you could arguably say that what is happening in the Star Brand issues, including the Pit and stuff, is is that there is a. To steal a point from Carter Schultz writing in the Comics Journal about a different set of books, a fear of life that is disguised as a fear of death. That, that there is this idea that keeps coming back in Burns Run that at what happens after we die is this thing. And he says it powers all these religions and you see Ken Connell set himself up as a messiah. And on the one hand, that's clearly, you know, kicking shooter's messiah complex in the balls, but The whole idea that the superhero fantasy is a fantasy, not so much about justice, but about immortality. And that immortality ends up being this crucial idea um, in the burn run to the point where, in order to tie off the story, it becomes this time travel orboros loop where where Ken and the old man and everyone, everyone who has the star brand are basically the same person and they can never die that the star brand is itself a, a circle. Um, mm. Is this way? Except, no, it's because he cheats his own point. Exactly. It cheats it badly in order to make it work where you're like, that makes no sense, you know, but, but,
1: but, yeah. to, get, but to get back to your thing about immortality, don't forget that there is a two issue period where the star brand baby has removed death yes. has undone death yeah right and that's not even investigated <laughs> no like right. weird things happen star brown baby shows up and it's like i got rid of death and you guys it was really hard it took me a few weeks and then roger's wife and i wish i could remember her name for the life of me isn't it just i uh,
0: roger and jane I sure okay,
1: okay. Maybe not? I i yes. can't remember um <laughs> But she says, oh, that's really bad. And he's like, is it? Oh, I'm a dummy. Death's back. Right. And that's it. Yeah. Like, yeah. it. it's Burn is so uh, half-assing, this comic.
2: Yeah. That
0: he's
1: like, I've got this grand concept that I'm literally going to do nothing with.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which that is I will everything.
1: announce and undo within pages. And he does that continuously. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I've get, like, the server maybe goes, uh, you are an old dude, I will give you the power, because as an old dude, you will do something different with the power. Yeah. And all you get is, like, this random guy being like, well, gosh shucks darn. Yeah. I guess I should do something good. I'm an old dude after all. Gosh shucks darn. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. It's like, so Bert, Bert does nothing yeah. with the idea of, maybe this guy would do something different with absolute power. Right. No, it at every he, he has stage zero interest yeah. in exploring any of his own concepts, yeah. which is kind of makes sense given like the pit is introduced and then it's like, hey, you guys, Pittsburgh is a radioactive thing, but only joking. It's not actually radioactive. It's just this big hole in the ground yeah. that apparently is going to destabilize destabilize the Earth. Only joking. No, it's not. But there's going to be monsters. Only joking. We only told you about the monsters just five pages before we killed them off. Yep. Oh. Ho, ho. Yep. It's astounding yeah. how many things Bern is like. You guys, here's an idea. Only joking. Here's yeah. an idea. Only joking. Exactly. Here's an idea.
0: Continually yep. throughout his run. Yeah, no, there there is so much of it that is like, oh, we're gonna just throw all these mad ideas at the wall, and then and there is no interest in developing. In fact, one of the things I was going to say is, I, you sort of wonder the extent to which, again, unconsciously, Burn is sort of equating death with comic book hack work. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like comic book cliches. They're like death. Nobody wants them, but if you get rid of them, nothing works anymore. You know? Like it's. And to prove it, here's lots of cliches. And also I... nothing working. Yeah, and also nothing working. Well, it is true. I'm fascinated the extent to which. I know that you're not a fan of the material, and there are people who are not, but honestly anyone to me who complains about Alan Moore's Miracle Man uh, material should have to read Starbrand Volume 2
2: because oh
1: it's it's astounding Mm -hmm. like it genuinely is you have and Miracle Man is not my favorite comic But Alan Brewer is trying to do things, and it's actually wrestling with ideas. And Starbrand is John Byrne thinking he's doing things and wrestling with absolutely zero ideas.
0: Really, really, really impressive. Man, these were so terrible. And and like I said, there was just – but there's also just a weird – well, the whole – yeah. Anyway – Graham, I, I cannot tell you how terrible these were on a reread. They were fun in a so bad it's good kind of way, but for people who are wondering like what's the radioactive half life on a on a shitty ass comic uh before you read it again and get some of that oh ha <laughs> ha I'm wasting my life uh it's definitely longer than a month. I will tell you that You grandma and I. Well, and no, it's, but it's it. That's very true because I'm I'm so glad you had the
1: same reaction I did.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The I'm glad I read this a month ago and then just a feeling of dread. Yeah, I know that we're about that I was about to do it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, just a I don't want to do this. Yeah, <laughs> this is a great idea. Back before I realized I'd have to do it.
0: Yeah, right, exactly. Well, it does. I mean, again, maybe if i had taken copious notes when I first bread it but yeah i um. oh my god it's oh, i actually may try and clean up these notes that i did write and then and then post them so people can see just how absurdly i overprepared um and also just how clearly this stuff broke my brain and i'm suffering so i don't know we'll see but that's our special star Brand episode Thank God. Half of which
1: tr- was about defenders.
0: <laughs> well, you know, honestly, Graham, we can still talk about it some more, man. I tell you, if you've got more. You know I you I, I more- you're right,
1: you're right. it's not about Starbrand, but it's about the new universe in general. Like I said, I did reread Spitfire. Right. Spitfire and the troubleshooters. Right. And you know, you and I both said it's very it's much more quote unquote traditionally superheroic. And also because of that, better. Yes. What is fascinating to me is the speed at which that comic goes through story.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Where it is by issue five, the issue that's repeated in the, the, uh, reprinted in volume one of Starbrand. Oh yeah. Should be like two years down the line. Mm-hmm. It's so fast that the end, the the first issue sets up the dynamic, the, the, the theoretically the dynamic of the series, mm-hmm. which is, uh Spitfire is Jenny Swanson. Her dad is an inventor. He essentially invents an Iron Man suit. He is murdered by his boss. Mm-hmm. She realizes this. Uh she basically gets a message from her dad. And because it's like 1986, it's like, I've locked into this computer bulletin board that only we know about because we are geniuses. Right. Uh he's left me a message, yada yada. But the issue ends with Jenny and her who is a teacher at MIT and her students, the troubleshooters. Uh Going on the run, Mm -hmm. because this dude is going to chase after them, they've stolen the Iron Man armor, uh, and he is, he is going to chase after them. That's the story. Mm -hmm. They're on the run with this armor, they're going to try and do good, but also work out how to, uh, expose him as a murderer. Right. Issue two, issue two, Jeff, ends with her saying, it's gone on too long, it all ends here. Issue 2, by issue 4, that dude is – no, I think it's issue – it is. It's issue 5. No, it's issue 5, the issue that's reprinted in – in Yes. Okay, so by the end of issue 4, that dude is dead. Yep. He's been murdered by a secret organization who has hired an international assassin. Yeah. Which is where the series goes Thing, But not only that – These troubleshooters, who are all MIT students, Mm -hmm. have retro-engineered their own Iron Man-esque armor. Wow. Issue five! Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's astounding how quickly it goes through. Yeah. And and by issue nine, the troubleshooters are fucking dead, Jeff.
0: Oh, Jesus. Well, of course. (sighs) Well, but at least you're getting some story. Like, by contrast... yeah. But you're getting, like,
1: you're getting too much story. You genuinely are <laughs> getting too much. Because the funny thing is you, you have this Uber plot that's moving super quickly. Mm-hmm. But on an issue-by-issue basis, you also have this star brand issue,
2: mm-hmm.
1: by which I mean, like, subject-topic problem. Um, because you have that nothing really happens. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, the the Uber plot advances super quickly, right. kind of behind the scenes, mm. whereas, like, the the biggest thing that happens in issue two is uh, Spitfire rescues dudes who are about to drive their truck off a cliff, and then there's a tank that she wrestles with. Right. And, and do you know how she defeats the tank, which is my favorite thing? Because it's before Wi-Fi. She literally cuts the telephone cable that is remote controlling the tank.
0: Ah, uh, nice. Because, cause of course. Because,
1: of course. Um, but, but, you know, so you have the simultaneously, like, like, the Uber plot is going very fast. I mean, far too fast.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But each individual issue is really badly written soap opera. Right. And incredibly underwhelming, like, issue by issue villains. And, right. and danger. Well,
0: you know, that's interesting is, is that, that I have fond memories of Grunwald's DP7. And There's I- And I would- many. Act- Ooh. yeah which which is interesting because when it when they cross over in star brand here it's unsurprisingly terrible but um but
1: also that's during the burn era
0: yeah where i mean burn is
1: that's the other thing in in his star you realize just how amazingly ungenerous burn is as a creator
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: that that he he's going to tell the server he wants to tell and he'll use other people's characters, but he never Uh, he's entirely reductive when he does so. He never really creates anything new
2: Mm -hmm. to play
1: with. He just, he really will just like use someone else's character and be like, I'm done with him! Like, the DP7 guest shot essentially ends the plot of DP7.
0: Well yeah, and I sort of assumed that was with Grunwald's blessing because he, because it was an un- But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, because in theory, seven was still
1: going on at that time.
0: Well, I yeah, I wasn't tracking it. But I'm in that sense, like, believe me, the stuff that I remember fondly is kind of in that first year lead up to the pit, and then at that point, I think I even read a couple of post-pit issues of DP Seven because it was like, oh yeah, I kind of care about these characters, and then forget it. But like other stuff that I read that I'm pretty sure would not hold up because it didn't at the time, like Justice, as you and I talked about, or. Like, Mark Hazard Merc, which was over within a year, and again, the character was dead, I
1: think. And also, yeah, they killed Mer- they killed Mark Hazard before Merc ended.
0: Oh, right. Because then his do- No, I'm getting confused with Justice, where his daughter comes in or something, but yeah.
1: No, no, no. no, no just, Justice... No, Mark Hazard is replaced... Maybe not by his daughter, but he's replaced by someone. Justice, they just completely redo the entire High Concept. Yeah. Uh, like, a year in. Yeah. Like, utterly. They're like, everything you knew was literally a lie. This guy just had a psychotic break, <laughs> and here's the real story.
0: I'm fascinated by how much of the material, like the behind-the-scenes material that they pack into Star Brand Volume 1 to kind of up the page count. Lots of Marvel Age uh, articles and things, which... You know, for those of us who are are not, yeah, right, right, exactly. For those of us who are not Graham McMillan and furtively collecting Marvel Age issues on the sly, it was kind of fascinating to read the stuff. I was shocked by how much Archie Goodwin had to do. Like he created like four of the seven titles, is the way that it's out. Which I'm just like, yeah.
1: And and and, do they have the the design? Because like Walt Simonson designs cyphers.
0: Oh wow, interesting interesting yeah so i mean again there's kind of that thing of like ooh, archie goodwin idea is like some of this should have worked somehow some of this should have stuck but
1: um but none of it did the other thing is uh i it it is inevitably not in the Marvel Age stuff, but um, you know, Kickers Incorporated was one of the launch titles, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Kickers Incorporated. Uh, you know, the Kickers Incorporated was like a last-minute rewrite because of the because of Shooter's rules of the new universe, and it was originally a, an entirely different book. Oh no, really? Like, like entirely different to the point where it had a different title. Wow. Um, because it was Tom the Falcon and Ron Friends who created it. And it was essentially going to be challengers of the unknown. Wow. Uh, and then, then the shooter was like, no, 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 we don't have anything that fantastic. Uh, you know, make, make it much more realistic. Make, make it about football guys, like football players. <laughs> um, but no, so I, like I said, I was, I was researching, you know, New Universe stuff today, and according to a story I read, and I don't know how true this is, and I'd love to know how true this is, mm-hmm. apparently uh one of the original titles thought up for the New Universe was uh, Strike Force Mortuary.
0: Ah, interesting.
1: Which is it's very strange, right? Mm-hmm. Because I can't see how that would fit in at all as it eventually was published.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But apparently... It was?
0: Well, it makes, it kind of makes sense because I could see where shooter would be like, especially if you have this idea of each book is like a year passing in new time, you know, I mean in real time, that I can see that idea of like, oh, but if we create characters that are going to be dead in a year, like you can, you can do things with them and you can also avoid the whole idea of like, you know, this this title's been running for 10 years now this character is a 40 year old person you know kind of deal so yeah i can see where it started that way and then kind of ended up going um, being developed in a in a different way which is which is probably for the but certainly considering the fate of the rest of the new universe certainly for the best but
1: um... but I mean just, just I, I guess part of it is like just think what it could have been like.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oof. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But because yeah, I, I, there's I can't remember where I saw this. I think it's in a, an issue of um, it's one of Tomorrow's magazines. They do they they do essentially an oral history of the new universe. Ooh. And you just have all the all the editors. Not so much the the creative talent, but all the editors basically saying like, "Oh, it was horrible,"
2: mm-hmm.
1: because we like we were told we have like a budget of X, and then all of a sudden we had a quarter of X, wow. like overnight. Um, but we still had to come up with eight titles,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's why that's why you have like Archie Goodwin creating, uh, Walt Simonson designing, and then none of them are on the books, and the books are made up of like Herb Trimpe yeah. and you know Jerry Conway. It's made up of of you know, dependable talents but hardly exciting names. Oh, yeah. You know, because, you know, and also, and I think, again, this is a tomorrow story, that um, that is basically on there as a personal favor to Shooter.
0: Mm. The Shooter basically was like, come on, come right. on. Do me a solid. Do me, right. Which makes sense. Uh, again, cause there is a little bit of like, Ramita Jr. being on there and you're sort of, which is interesting cause I think actually Ramita Jr. is like a pretty good match for the book, uh, in a lot of ways.
2: I,
1: I, it you should know? be said, Ramita Jr. and Al Williams, Williamson's art in the shooter issues is really good. Uh,
0: you know, it's funny, I'm like, oh, I, I really like it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like it too. There's parts that I really like and I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of of Romita Jr.'s work during this era, but one of the things that I think is a smart choice is Romita Jr. is a comic book artist of the era. You know what I mean? Like, that is that is a stage yeah. where... Well, he, he, he came off he came off Uncanny X-Men to work in Starbrand. Right. Well, and the things that he was doing in Uncanny X-Men, like, he's someone who was, like... <laughs> the idea that John Romita Jr. was hanging out at a New Jersey mall somewhere and sketching what people were wearing and how people were dressing and how people were wearing their hair, like, I feel that's really, that's really apparent in Star Brand. And it's one of the things that really, I think, works in the book's favor is, is that, um, is, is that, that Romita Jr. The milieu that he is comfortable with and that he's closer, that he's interested in drawing generally, is is closer to what Shooter is interested in portraying in Starbrand. You know, mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. sense, the world outside their window, they they had a very similar sense. Set, set of windows in that thing. So I, I think they're actually a really, really good match in that. And like you said, and there is also some, well, but it's fascinating though when you look at the number of star brand stories and shooters, uh, issues that literally end on like an eight page, like, you know, like a nine panel grid or a seven panel grid. Like those, those books are plotted weirdly and bat, like the storytelling is just, there's some good big moments that work really well and there's some small moments that work really well. But there's also some really fucked up weird storytelling choices where they're like, Oh okay, I've got like literally I've I've already been told that I can draw twenty four issues and it's still not twenty four pages and it's still enough enough pages for this plot. I've got to jam everything into three, you know, eight panel um pages the end. Like the, the number of them that end on a tiny panel of Ken Connell, like looking at watching TV or something, is just like
1: right. There's a, an awful lot of, of him watching TV, yeah. which I find <laughs> hilarious. I I really do like the number of times yeah. that Ken is just like sitting in front of the TV and going, "Ha, huh, cool." Uh, <laughs> it's 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 a very the, the other thing that Romita brings to it is you you've read some of like Shooters Valiant, right?
0: I actually, I have to say, I don't think I have. I did not follow Shooter after he left Marvel. I mean, you know, I'm not sure that I followed the Shooter as much as I followed Marvel, if you know what I'm saying. So, Yeah, like, no, no, I definitely. Him,
1: yeah. um, because s- having read those books,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and don't get me wrong, like, you know, there, there's there's reasonable artists working on them. Mm-hmm. You see how much Romita brings to Starbrand.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because those books are just visually disinteresting yeah they're not exciting yeah and ramita for all his faults does keep things moving
0: oh yeah well actually one of the things that i thought was actually uh, amazing to me is the first issue of star brand opens with a splash page of ken lifting a train that is not us is not a, it's not, not a story page yeah, exactly. I mean, it's sort of a story thing later, but it, I realized how much I was, how much we had gotten to the point of that Marvel splash page where it's big and it's dramatic, but it's also the first page of the story. And it's very much a yeah. silver age throwback to have a splash yes. page of the character doing something dramatic and dynamic. And it's not the actual, it's not an actual page of the story. I thought it was. Yeah really intriguing that on the one hand Shooter was like well there's a reason why you got to do this you've got to make it visually gripping on the first page but he was also like but I'm not fucking interested in starting my story in a visually interesting place hell no you know very weird really weird part
1: of it is also like i can see shooter thinking that the motorbike heroics of the next page are visually interesting and you know rumita rumita does what he can with them he really does but i also would not be surprised especially because of the the caption on that first page Mm -hmm. if that first page was added later i think so too if there was a separate splash page yeah. And then, you know, it comes in and Shooter's like, now we need something else.
0: There, there's actually a page where um Ken is fighting with the uh alien in the train yard. And he's like, he's going to kill me. And then the next page is the alien blasting uh the train that Ken, Ken's holding up above himself. But you don't see him actually mm-hmm. lift it. And I do think that actually well, that page it's, might it's have not, been.
1: It's not... It's not because he's wearing a different outfit.
0: Oh, good call. Good call. Cause I thought that as well,
1: and I checked. It, it, doesn't, it wouldn't fit into the continuity. He's wearing a different outfit. Okay. It, it's definitely a separate edition. Yeah. Or, it's the same edition and they re-ink the figure to give him the, the outfit that he's wearing on the cover. Right.
0: Which, oh let's not, I, anyway, I'm like, oh man, I cannot tell you how weirded out I was by whatever shooter was going on with those damn, with that fucking outfit. crazy crazy. it's super it's yeah there's lots of things that kind of go
1: nowhere like we concentrated very much on like shooters has relationship issues yeah shooters characters are very weird in such a way that like you read into them they don't just feel like you know it's a character of the story you feel like every character is serving some purpose on in shooters personal drama yeah but outside of that there's some very strange things in these comics Mm -hmm. yeah the idea that uh that Ken has a costume mm-hmm. that he wears, and and that for all the like I'm I'm decrying superhero tropes, mm-hmm. that Shooter gives Ken a costume. Yeah, even just by saying the alien, has given me a copy of my biking outfit, but it's indestructible. It's super interesting to me. That later on, he then makes a point of being like, there's nothing special about this yeah, costume. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: And Deb says, no, it's special because you think it's special. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's again really interesting. And again, it's not followed up on
2: at all. Yeah.
1: Um, I would be, and I thought this after, I actually thought this after reading Spitfire, but the more I think about it in Starbrand, it, it comes back in. i would love to see people try and revive these characters in terms of like literally going okay here's the first issue now we'll move forward from this
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but
1: like not not marvel creators Mm. do you know what i mean right (laughs) like give them to someone who doesn't who hasn't written like avengers
0: yeah i see i kind of see what you're saying like give them to indie comics creators and let them see where they're going to go i with and them, i right. just i just give them the first issue and go this this is your pilot
1: go forward from there
0: right i was fascinated by the inclusion is it in volume 2 i guess it's in volume 2 where they do they include the jeff parker issue um except they they don't in my kindle version
1: <laughs> really it's not in there yeah it's not in there. It says it is in the back. I have no Jeff Parker as it is. Like, I can read it on Marvel Unlimited. And I love it. I love the Jeff Parker issue because it honestly feels so much as he's making fun of the Jim
0: Shooter issues. Oh, yeah. He really is. And in some ways, I sort of uh, – pardon me, is a little eh about that. There's parts where he is also kind of giving them a lot more thought. I suppose? Like, you know, he, he does some fun stuff. Like, the Parker issue is kind of a, a refreshing read. And there's also kind of a little bit of a, um, you know, again, kind of, like you said, uh, like, I wish someone was doing stuff with some of these characters. Like, again, there's that weird, uh, oh, that was the other thing that I was, I, you know, I read Squadron Supreme, and I figured that would be an amazing tie-in, of course, to talking about Starbrand in the New Universe, but, We've already we've already gone on long enough, so I think that'll I'll save that for next time. I I do want to I do want to throw this in though.
1: Burns Starbrand ends with Ken is Starbrand baby is old man. It's a recursive loop, but like we said, he cheats. Yes, and where he cheats is there's a pilot, a U.S. Air Force pilot who is left with the Starbrand.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Oh right, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah.
1: Grunwald ties that up in an issue of Quasar. Oh God, does he? That's Wait Quasar amazing. goes Quasar goes to the new universe. He ends up in the new universe by mistake. Mm-hmm. And he meets the pilot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the pilot essentially says, Oh, I have these superpowers, but I haven't told anyone because they're freaky as fuck. hmm And Quasar says, I can take the star brand off you and that'll give you the, that'll give me the power to get back to my universe. And the pilot's like, please fucking just take the superpowers. Mm-hmm. And the Brands to to Quasar. Quasar uses them to get back to Marvel Universe, and it's like it burnt itself out. Now there's no more Starbrand. So yeah, he closes that. Grumwald years later wow. closes the loop.
0: Although does he? Because I thought the whole point is is that everyone who has the Starbrand, even if they give it up, they still have ten percent of what they had before. Or is that if they die? No, because that's the whole point. Is right? Is is that. Connell, of course, you know, at one point he's like, ah ha 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 ha, the star brand kid told me Hobson's choice, like ha ha ha. I still, you know, he took my power from me, but I still have 10%.
1: But also that's then implied, although never stated, because why would John Burr ever state something outright? That all of that was bullshit and it's because they're all the same person. Oh, right. I no, that, that's, that's, that's kind of undone by his, they're all the same person. Uh... Because the reason they all have 10% is because they have always had the power. I like think. they are they are Starbrand, essentially. Right.
0: Right. Hmm. That's kind
1: of so big. So you have that element of like, do they really have the ten percent or do they just always have it and they only think
0: they have the ten percent? Right. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, anyway. Interesting. I had no idea that Grunwald turned around. Star and brand that people. Starbrand. It's,
1: it's wacky shit.
0: It really is. It really is. It, it, it's it's it's
1: All told, it's probably one of the weirdest comics that Marvel has published because the first, like the shooter issues are so very pure in terms of creator intent. Yeah. In a way that like Marvel comics just aren't. Yeah. Uh, and then it's followed by like three issues of fill-in, like we said, which are very weird. The Bobby Chase annual, which is super weird. And then John Byrne shitting on Jim Shooter for nine (laughs) nine issues. Like it literally is like, Seven issues of super pure intent, nine issues of someone shitting on that intent.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's fascinating. It's And it's interesting the way in which Byrne later on towards the end has Connell say things like literally like, I thought I could make a new universe, but now I see... Like, it's important to have teams and team players and creative people who are treated like actual creatives, you know, which is hilarious, like, cause it's And like, it's like, like, I'm a focus in the machine! <laughs> it's, it's such, exactly. It is such clumsy meta text, but it's also kind of one of those weird, uh, it's just, it's strange. Burn, Burn is a, Burn's a weird guy, Shooter's a weird guy. If these were- Together they comics. make weird- Holy shit. Yeah, if only they were weird good comics. It's, that would be something that would have been. That's true,
1: like, it's it's kind of sad that, like, they're so weird
0: and so individual, and yet not good.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's, uh, a a fascinating era, and we covered it in this episode. Hooray us. Which is my way of saying- What Jeff's saying is, it's been it's been two and a half hours, and I I really I don't I don't want to I don't want our listeners to just die, basically. So I think do you too think late. We We've talked
1: about Starbron for an hour and a half. <laughs> They're done, everyone. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get us out of this by saying you will find us for this episode and all other Raid episodes and Baxter buildings asterisk since we relaunched like a couple of years ago but you know what we're saying already at com you will find also images of comics maybe some star brand who can even tell on dot com is now auto-posting to our twitter account that would be at waitwadpodcasts jeff has a twitter account <laughs> nothing auto-posts to there that's at Lazy Bastard, at l a z y b a s c i d. I have a Twitter account, at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon-supported podcast. That's right, we are supported by loving, loving listeners like yourselves. Because I've said Patreon,
0: Jeff has a few words. I do. Hey, listeners, thank you so much for continuing to put up with Graham and I. That's really awesome of you. We can't even begin to tell you... Um really, what an impressive accomplishment it is, although I would feel like after you finish up this episode, two and a half hours, you're like, you know what? I did something. <laughs> I did, I did something that not everyone would do. Uh, also, uh, if you want to think about it in that term, there's a whole group of people who do things that even, uh, fewer people in the world would do, which is, uh, they actually give us a little bit of dosh their hard-earned cash uh, as a way to thank us and support us and keep us motivated and interested in shooting for new and different goals for example the Baxter Building podcast exists uh entirely as a result of the wonderful people on Patreon being like yes that is a stretch goal that would make everyone happy um, and of course by everyone there's a subset there but you know what I'm trying to say uh like I said, truly wonderful group of people on Patreon, uh, including the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. We are especially grateful to their continuing support of this podcast, um, and now more than ever, their um, reluctance to crush the galactic wheel in which we spin and toil. um. I like that you got poetic at the end there. Yes,
1: thank you. People! Thank you, as always, for listening. We will be back. I, In fact, I don't know when we'll be back. Jeff might have to talk (laughs) about scheduling. (laughs) Genuinely. I have no idea if we're back next week or if we're back in two weeks. Who can even tell? But I'll tell you this much. We very much appreciate you listening. Jeff will put in the show notes when we'll be back, because we'll have this conversation after we record. Until then, bye!